Well, you wonder why I always dress in black Why you never see bright colors on my back And why does my appearance always have a somber tone Well, there's a reason for the things that I have on I wear the black for the poor and the beaten down Living in the hopeless, hungry side of town And I wear it for the prisoner Who has long paid for his crime But still is there because he's a victim of the time I wear the black for those who've never read Good morning. He wears the black. He wears the black. I wear my own kind of form of black, you know? I mean, not literally. I'm more like I was saying oranges and pastels, but... You do favor orange, Patrick. Well, you know who loved the... Romans loved orange. It was almost like a high-tech color. Like, it was a sign of, like, conspicuous consumption. Well, it would have had to be made with, like, saffron, right? (laughs) Or something like that. I mean, where would they make... uh, where would they get that color from? Saffron was so expensive. Yes, exactly. They did use it a lot to dye clothes. So so the date today is January 15th? 17th. 17th. Yes. It's Sunday. It's uh, the main course. On Heritage Radio Network. Today we're sponsored by really one of the most interesting American businesses for food. It is called Salumi. In Seattle, Washington. And uh, its founder is Armandino Batali. And it's currently run by his daughter, Gina, and uh, her husband, Brian. Uh-huh. And they um, run Salumi, which makes some of the best prosciutto. So they generously sponsor. They make all things. Do they Salamis. buy pork from you? They buy all their hams. And sometimes they'll buy jowl or something like that. But all of their real, you know, go-to prosciutto are whole ham, mm-hmm. bone-in, yeah. skin-on, shank-on, no hoof. Sometimes people do hoofs. They yeah. don't do hoof. And, uh, yeah, they like 30 pound plus. Oh, yeah. Well, some people don't. Like Sam Edwards, for instance, wants like 23 pound ones, 22 really? pound ones. Yeah. Why is that? I don't know. I think he thinks it maybe absorbs the salt better. You know, like you have it's less. it's a smaller mass. Yeah. And that's also yeah. consistent, actually, with the commodity stuff that he gets. Same size. Yeah, because I think, yeah, oh, I see. who knows? But Well, I, I know that uh, for a while people like out there is Herb Farm Restaurant and they're doing, um, they're making, they're doing some salumi with Mangalisa pigs. Uh, and those are those little Hungarian pigs. And the reason they're desirable is because they have quite a small haunch. Wah, wah, Mangalista. I have a little bit of an issue oh, with Oh, you don't Mangalista. like Mangalista? I love Delicious that it's a rare pig, breed. Man. I love that it's a rare breed and that it represents genetic diversity, but... Twenty-four dollars a pound. I mean, yeah, that it just pricey. ended its own it's pretty tasty, success. Though. Like, it, uh, Do those big speak Hungarian. <laughs> they better for twenty-four dollars a pound. That was Samuel speak, Merritt, read and write, our uh, beer expert. Oh man, we have dogfish. Is that dogfish? There's, yeah, there's dogfish. Uh, Rodenbach today, Southampton, oh, Brooklyn. Oh. You have a very so light and tasty looking, uh, looks like a lager or pilsner there. That's the Southampton double white ale. Beauty. Yeah, awesome. And we're pretty. also going to have, I'm very excited. I met him for the first time at a uh, an event that Ann Sachs will be talked about, Cheese. Um, and it's Jimmy Carbone from Jimmy's 43. Jimmy's 43. Hello. Hi, Jim. Uh, hi, guys. How are you? Hi, Jimmy. 
So, um, what how's, my, how's my radio voice? Well, you have a great face <clears throat> for radio, really. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, thank you. Just, you know, pull your microphone right up to your, yeah, that's right. Right up to the kisser there, baby. So, um, I just got back from you visiting. Have been, I, I can't believe how much you've been. First, you spent last week in California. Where I almost got into, yes, in, in California. At the Hearst Ranch. Lovely. And Steve then, Hearst, so generous. And Brian Kenny, that was, a, I thought, an amazing segment with him last I stayed year. on an 83 thousand acre farm yeah like you would look out to the ocean and then yeah. you would look out at a huge valley and huge hill and then beyond that you couldn't see it was two more valleys wow. and peaks i mean eighty three thousand acres and the cattle can go wherever the hell they want on that truly free range and people think san simeon well they must have tourists and stuff they actually make the tourists park out by the water you know mm-hmm. by highway one mm-hmm. and then a bus takes them like some 20 minute bus tour up to Xanadu. Yeah. You know? And that that guy, William Randolph Hearst, who they called WR, he uh you know, he had zebras imported, you know, and like these cowboys, because they really have maintained a cowboy culture to deal with all this land, like have the added headache of like zebras jumping over fences. Oh, because he still parts. has the zebra the zebra herd is still extant. I know yeah, Brian but they're mentioned kind that. of inbred. But they're feral. Yeah. So because they're 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 oh, not that it's the many. Same gene pool. Have you ever thought about bringing some zebra meat in <laughs> to New York? It could. I mean, zebra. You'd have would a hard sell on that one. Well, zebra has never been domesticated. No, but and nobody's ever. Nobody wants to eat horse meat in this country either, which would actually be a nifty solution to the, the problem with with aging horses. Yeah, because, we have to get over that right away. Yeah, I mean, did you used to ride horses? Uh, yes. You know, I, I'm scared to death of horses. So, um, you know, I rode just cause it seemed like a fun thing to do, but I really hated it. But my sister has been, she rode from the time she was seven until last spring when she had a bad accident. And that was the end of that. Huh. But she has the horse at her house now. He's like the dog, you know, so <laughs> he lives better, in the house, he li- not in the house, but he, she paddocked off an area around her house and, and she's got him there for the winter. So it's, you know, it's kind of fun. I mean, I love the horse, but he's an absolute moron. And oh, yeah. he, he, he got spooked by a cat that he lives with. What a wuss. And uh, yeah, totally. And he like jumped in the air, did a 180 spin and sent my sister flying oh. and she broke her sacrum. Wow. And she was really lucky she didn't uh, become paralyzed. Which that. part is the sacrum again? It's that little triangle above your butt oh, where you have all these Lord. major nerves coming through. So, I mean, it was really, she was so, so lucky. And it took three months at least. I mean, she's still recovering, but it was three months, in a, two months in a wheelchair. Well, remember what happened to Christopher Reeves. I mean, what part uh, of yeah. today we're going to look back at the decade in scandal. Oh, yeah. Well, he was hardly so a scandal. We have a, but... I have a People magazine, a $12 issue, but I have to say I think it's worth it. Worth every penny Everything of it for all those great photos. Naomi Campbell to Eddie Murphy picking up a, a male prostitute. Jessica Simpson Sweet. not uh, lip syncing. Uh, what else? Paris Hilton. But then well, we have I some more be sure we problems cover the, at the pulpit. Uh, yeah, I think we need to cover the um, the right wing, uh, the many many scandals that rocked the Republican Party over the last decade. Because <sighs> I read a, I, there was a long. I went. I did about an hour's worth of research about this, and compared to the Democrats, the Republicans were just so far and beyond. You know any anything that the Democrats could do that it was really it was comical. And uh, it just ran the gamut from these religious guys to the, you know, whatever. They just, you know, they cannot keep their pecker in their pants. 
and they get into all kinds of trouble, and they somehow seem to think that that it's okay that they do this. Well, it's all it is okay. There's no problem with doing it. The problem <laughs> is if you caught. get on. No, that's not <laughs> also not historically. It's never been a problem. It's only a problem if you in turn persecute that group in your political life. Well, exactly. Then you're a scumbag. You know, everybody Spencer's went after Democrat, Bill Clinton for getting a blowjob, and yet, you know, each Newt Gingrich ends up admitting that he was having an affair at the very same time that he was, you know, crying for blood with the Clinton administration. I mean, yeah. all of these guys. Spitzer, total hypocrisy. Yeah. Um, Spitzer didn't know the old adage that you don't pay prostitutes to have sex. You pay them to leave and stop talking. <laughs> 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 And uh, that's uh, that was the big mistake there. You didn't yeah. get the right one. And then that other guy. Oh, well, I mean, who's the oldest senator? Uh, Strom Thurmond. Strom Thurmond. Yeah, who like, had a biracial child. You can't be have anti-black policies and have fathered like. Uh, I mean, well, that's that's like right back to the noblesse oblige of you know pre-civil war times. I mean, yeah. come on. Well, I have a question talking about civil war. And he war. was so old. I guess he felt like he was still. <laughs> We're going to wrap up this intro soon, but I want to ask you. Maybe I'll throw it out. To the to the group, the uh, I went down to visit this week. I went down to visit Leaping Waters Farm. Yes, and Sam Edwards. He drove uh, me and, and a in Virginia, in old Virginia. And we went down to Shawsville, which is like two hours away from Charlottesville, which is like an hour away from Fredericksburg. Anyway, we drove by a Jefferson Davis Highway. Cool. Wait, do you know who Jefferson Davis was? I do. He was the president. He was, he was the, the president, president of the Confederacy, yeah. Of of a rebellious group in America. And as a guy they who still loved want Lincoln, to fly the Confederate flag. Right. And that's an issue, but I think also an issue, he's gotta get pulled. That's like saying Benedict Arnold. You know, a guy who's screwed over, like you can't lead a rebellion and become president of a thing that's trying to downfall of a, of a good government. Well, it just goes to show you that the South. Well, Richmond, <laughs> Virginia. Forever. I was there last weekend too, Patrick. Okay. And Richmond, Virginia was the re- was the republic's uh, capital, and so it's all over Richmond. I mean, if um, I was a black person, I'd be offended to see that. I'd be like the president. Well, whenever of the I guy saw the Confederate that, flag, I would certainly be offended. Yeah, absolutely. and that they have started to, you know, make inroads yeah. and that being an unacceptable. But I would take it one step further. Anyway, well, why don't we take a break and we'll come and back. we'll come back with Jimmy Carboni, uh, Jimmy's forty-three, and Sam Merritt of the um, civilization, civilization of, beer. of beer. I wanted to say the council. Civ in beer. Yeah. I'm sitting on the lake in a leaky boat Waiting for a fish to fight Not what I would call my lucky day Already lost a $30 pole And the bugs are starting to bite Just about time to load it up And be on my merry way Sun is hot, but the water's clear. There's a cold beer in the cooler. I'll stop at the store and buy some fish and hope that I can fool her. She still thinks I'm a fisherman and I don't want to change her mind. Cause fishing trips are a peaceful way to ease my weary mind. Tomorrow I can talk about the one that I lost How he took my new pole and run 
Seems like the big ones always get away, but that makes the stories fun. And you always have... So, Katie, I love it. When I asked you, how would you look back at the decade of the knots? You were like, scandal. Republican well, scandal was the first uh, yeah, thing Yeah, because I, I feel... Well, the decade of the knots was so dominated by the Republican agenda, which, you know... If it had been any other Republican besides George Bush, I wouldn't have had as much of a problem with it. Because I think it's great we have Republicans. Not one of them, but I certainly Did the Republicans them. dominate your life, even here in New York on the Upper they West Side? They dominated our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Really? Of course they did. We I went to war. I think it just forced me to turn, <laughs> off, turn off a segment of civilization that I enjoy participating in and knowing about. I just couldn't do it for those Well, segments. it actually inspired me to become much more knowledgeable about issues because I felt that the reason we had such a... Um, narrow squeak in 2000 and of course the election was more or less stolen but then in 2004 when bush was re-elected i felt that one of the biggest problems was that america the democrats had become the party of no and that they were not offering any solutions and that uh, it was you know the party was basically dominated by people who went off on these knee-jerk responses to issues without actually doing any research about them or educating Uh themselves about what was really happening. And so, in a way, for me, it was very motivating to read more and pay more attention to the news and to really um, get plugged into what was going on. Although I will say now, with this tragedy in Haiti, I did quite like to see George Bush, the most recent one, and Bill Clinton sitting in a room talking about helping. Like Sometimes it takes a bad thing, like 9-11, to bring people together. So anyway, I just enjoyed seeing two presidents, former presidents, even though, you know, I liked one. I didn't well, like the, I, the idea of including George Bush, who botched uh, our biggest national disaster after 9-11 with the work in Hurricane Katrina. I mean, that's probably going to be his greatest. Incredibly uh, abject failing uh, of just allowing a, yeah. one of our most treasured cities to just, you know, circle the drain. Although who knows if the Democrats, would the Democrats have done better with it? Or was it the novelty of the, could it have been the novelty well, of I the disaster? Well, I think that uh, for one thing, appointing a guy who had formerly been the head of a racing stable as your head of FEMA was <laughs> kind took, of a, kind of a major error, just for starters. I mean, yeah, the, guy the Democrats had, would have appointed someone no more. He had absolutely no training in disaster relief. Yeah. So, I mean, right there you have a major malfunction. <laughs> well, that's a <laughs> good segue. Kind of from there. Is there any... Yeah, forget it. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, you're about to get our license removed, weren't you, with that comment? You yeah, I was. <laughs> Talking about the disaster, it I is a disaster if you do not visit Jimmy's Forty Three. Okay, yeah, let's go. To, let's go to Jimmy's Forty Three. Oh, Jimmy's Jimmy Forty Three. If you haven't been there, and I, I have, have not, not been there, it oh. is, I was like, shit. I mean, I am so sorry. I missed this place. Heaven Underground for so long. So tell us. Okay, first of all, where is Jimmy's Forty Three? Sam. <laughs> oh, it's on, it's on Seventh well, Street. Go knows, ahead, Jimmy. Sam knows a lot about us because we host. He teaches a class, a beer server certification class from the Cicerone program and he teaches it there for us and for other you know people other from Connecticut and uh-huh. restaurateurs and, and wow uh, that's great uh, they, bottle have a, they have a cabaret owners. space it's beautiful so he's been doing that quite a lot and we have some of our servers who are going to get certified and it's, it's really Sam is the guy in New York that is trying to teach people about beer and there's really nobody else doing he's it he's like a visiting doctor almost like yeah. you know he'll he's go and he'll do it <laughs> Well, he says good things. He comes in and says, wow, Jimmy's number 43. The reason they have good beer is because they have a good walk-in refrigerator. And I said, that really makes sense. So I put it on my blog and I said, you know, Sam says that we have good beer because we have a big walk-in refrigerator. <laughs> Can I tell you about his refrigerator? And you can tell us. It's, it's gorgeous. It's, uh, 
I think, 15-foot ceilings. And most uh, bars will have uh, one shelf and then perhaps two shelves for the kegs so they can stack them one on top of each other. Kegs are about 170 pounds full. So it's very hard to lift them over your head. But Jimmy has winches, and he's got three shelves. And so he's able to stack three shelves of kegs in the same cooler and therefore unpasteurized craft product, which is what he specializes in, is doing in, doing incredibly right. well because, because it's, it's more consistent. It's kept it. It's like milk and eggs. It's kept in the fridge from the yeah, minute the it gets there. And so Jimmy can do that. I haven't seen a, a cold box like Jimmy's 43 ever. I love the idea that you have winches. Yes, that's they lift very up the, cool. They lift up the keg. Very cool. So now, where exactly are you located, so that I can go there right after this segment? We're in the East Village. <laughs> We're on Forty Three East Seventh Street, about ten feet underground. Ten feet underground, about for40 feet from Second Avenue, and um, we're what lucky you're because ten feet underground. You're so literally well, we're uh, in the basement. In the it's basement, like Pravda. You know, you walk down a little uh, metal grate, right? All yeah, right. There's. I'll tell you one thing cool about our space. We're on East 7th Street, which is the heart of Ukrainian, the old Ukrainian Absolutely. East Village. And even until a few years ago, I never walked down that street except they have an annual Ukrainian festival. And it was definitely like this old Ukrainian block. But a lot has changed. And uh, we were lucky that the man who built Burp Castle and, and a few oh, other, I love few other bars, Castle. he was also the landlord. So he basically built oh. out the basement to be a, his uh, private. I just found out yeah, about the Burp Castle recently. Yeah. Come on, and national anthem, baby. Has anybody been? I, have any of you guys been to the Burp Castle? Of course, Sam has. But Sam, give us one. One of the things that they do at the Burp Castle. Don't you okay. dare. Take your don't time. Don't you yes. dare. No. It is part of beer culture. Let's face it. It's like if you're in chili contests, you think parting is not like talked about. That's um, part of the natural body process. See what I can do for you. Okay, thanks. Thanks, man. All right. Well, take in the your time. Burp Castle. Since Jack doesn't do there, sound effects for me anymore. You can't speak loudly. You go in there. Uh, sound effects are on, says Nat the engineer. Okay, push and the sound effect. That's been so long. We've lost effect. our menu, so it'll be random what we hear. But at the Burp Castle, they go shh. <laughs> but oh, oh nice. That was a little wet. I liked it. Burp Castle. Oh, that man. was Sam who burped, burped not Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's for the record. Let's I don't care. I would here. take credit for that burp. Would you? I would. I wouldn't I mind. It was that impressive. Wet. It was little, no, it wasn't. No. I just. I. You said burp castle and shh, and I said, you know what? That's <laughs> going to make a nice bite. You know? <laughs> now that was Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Boy. it's a civilization of beer. It's not the degradation of beer. <laughs> but so you know, burp castle. So that's yeah. a cool. But yes. what happened was that the landlord he just went nuts. He built giant refrigerators and, and beer systems. And Fantastic. We've got this room that the ceilings are from 1903, <gasps> the arch brick ceilings. Oh, beauty. And so it's like the Oyster Bar. Yeah, we have three big rooms and there's well, wood paneling. It's and, not like, well, the Oyster Bar is one big space. Yeah, it's not Gustavino, but it's yeah. beautiful anyway. And what I like about, about Jimmy's is that you really have different zones. Like you can be in the kind of dining room area, which is still kind of low ceiling-ish. Dining room, or you can be in the bar area, which yep. is its own world, or you can be in this back room, so you don't see the other rooms from where you are, and right. so there's this kind of mystery. And then there's even a, a fourth place, which is kind of the back bathroom area, kitchen, right? Yeah, there's a lot of rooms, so it feels like intimate, but can also medieval. Have a big party. What kind of food do you serve? Well, we started serving beer food. Um, when we opened, there was only electric burners, and there's no exhaust. Right. So we didn't really know what to do at first, and we started using cast iron skillets. Yeah, because they worked really well with the um, with the electric burners. 
and it kind of seemed to go well with beer. So we did very simple dishes like sausages, beef stew, you know, slab bacon with escarole, things right. like that. Cool. And over time, it um, evolved. We got a really good chef a couple years ago, Philip Kirshen Clark, a kid who had worked at WD-50 and John George. And he came in with all this energy. He had been moonlighting for a while. And uh, he, we were looking for a chef. And he said, I want to be the chef. And he went nuts. People said it was the secret chef. And it was him with the four burners, wow. you know, doing crazy stuff. Oh, that's and, fantastic. Uh, of course, he went, it was way, he had at some point move on. But it was also, he was too nuts for the space, too. I mean, a, a really good chef in this, in this little space. You know, we make, you know, steaks. We make slow braised meats. At yeah. some point, it's just a very simple kitchen. Right, right. It sounds good. Perfect no, beer really, food, like yeah. you said. Yeah, so but your menu item is you have great your... cheeses, right? You buy from Saxo Beach Cheesemongers? Yeah, we buy a lot of from Anne and then also from her, the introductions. I mean, now we buy direct from a lot of the farms that she uses as well. That's nice. And what I like, tell us about great. your special events. I mean, Sam participates in some of them, but what's the well, goal? Well, like last night, you had the you had the uh, the cassoulet cook-off. Yeah. cook-off. So, did you have a huge turnout for that? It oh, looked yeah, it fantastic. If I had been in town, I would have gone for sure. I love cassoulet. Well, it was good too. <laughs> I yeah. mean, not all the cook-offs you want to eat the food, but. <laughs> The food was you good. have to be very dedicated, though, to make truly make cassoulet. I mean, that's a very complex dish. That's a couple of days of preparation. Are you confusing really cassoulet with souffle? Isn't cassoulet you just dump a bunch of stuff in there? Oh, good lord! Souffle no. is the thing that falls, right? The yeah, people have a hard time. No, with cassoulet, cassoulet is like a dish of beans and braised it meats, but it's like. Yeah. You know, you have, I mean, if you're really going to go to town, it's like you cook the beans, like they get soaked off, and then you have uh, confit, and right. you have sausage, and you have this pork, you have lamb, and it all gets sort of layered in. And I knew. It gets, it, yeah, I knew. And it's and it, it takes, I mean, I made it once from scratch, like I think I used Julia Child's recipe or something. I was working for a shop, and we made it as this winter special. And it did really take us about two, two days to kind of get to the, you know, to the truly perfect point we you know uh let's like in. melted gelatin from you know pig's feet and stuff i mean it was crazy we did um the skin we melted the skin it was like right how many well, contestants were in your your contest for cassoulet last night yesterday there were 12 contestants i'll tell you who the winner is too you'll be the first people to know oh, oh are, really? are we breaking the news we're breaking this news here jack can news. we get some sound cool. effect that something how about like a uh, j- an explosion? Just press the button of your choice. Press the random button of your choice. Hold on, it's not Wait. Okay. Hold it. And the winner <laughs> is. It doesn't work. Okay, go for it. Well, Patrick, you're gonna have to make your own sound effects. This is the moment you've been waiting. <laughs> I'm for. gonna have to plug Drum. them. Uh, there's two guys that have really been making their mark in the cook-off community, and there's Theo Peck and Nick Suarez. And they really go all the way. The thing Nick about Suarez is that Carlos Suarez's brother or something? No, Nick is uh, just a young guy who's trying to be a cook. Mm-hmm. And um, and what, is this going to catapult him into uh, <laughs> the restaurant kitchen of his choice? I don't know, but he's the thing about the cook-offs. It's it's not the food that you'd really want to eat. I mean, they 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 finish things with you know lots of seasoning, even MSG type stuff. So it sure. really just gives blows you away on that taste. And those guys have it down. I mean, they have this. They finish with this real crispy, crunchy thing on top. Yeah. And then you're like, "Wow, that was so good!" But you really can't eat more than a few bites. But they, they've got it down. They've they've been winning a lot of cookoffs. So There's a lot of fat. Uh, Theo Peck won. We had Josh Zersky, who was a writer, and we oh, had yeah. Betty Fussell. Oh, I oh, love Betty. Fussell was a judge. We love her. Yeah, Corn, she has meat. to come back. Yeah, she's, she's great. Really cool. Yeah. And she was adamant about who who. 
whose style she thought was was the winner. And I think Betty is the expected. hottest woman for her age. Oh, like if she's you could gorgeous. combine age with yeah. hotness, like yeah. Betty Fussell is. Yeah, I really like her a lot, and yeah. I love she's her like work. She's the hottest eighty year old. Well, she doesn't need to have time. scandals. She just can have lovers. We know? should have a whole show on the hottest eighty year olds. You know, <laughs> no, that'd be awesome, and it would be scandal for all the men who leave their wives for an eighty year old. Katie Kiefer is the hottest eighty year old I know, but it has to. Be, but <laughs> It has to be foodies, though. It has to be foodies. Oh, no. Let's not limit ourselves. <laughs> well, that sounds great. So, uh, you know, kudos to Theo Peck. Yeah, he did it. He won. He, he rocked it. And Emma Feigenbaum, who's a, she's a young chef. She's worked on Martha Stewart. She won the popular vote. Really? Yeah. Popular vote. So there was popular a popular vote, vote and then there, there was, was the a, expert panel. There so was, you had it's Betty, like the Fussell, People's Choice Awards. Josh Ozersky. The people who bring their most, the most of their relatives to the cook-off award. <laughs> it's oh, like Zagat always rating Gramercy and Union 1 and 2. It's because on his email, well, it's also they're very good restaurants and they're deserving. But it is popular vote, you know, can be won or lost by yeah. connections. That's true. Or by how many people and you what know. And other, what other, because you guys are very active. Like, what other stuff? I looked on your website. You have, like, a ton of things going on. Like, a whole yeah, roster we, of events coming up. We've just that we have um, really good people collaborating with us. Tell us about projects. that event that I went to. It was uh, very yeah, there was clear. An, there was a, it's not really official. There's no, you know, corporation or association. But a group of people started, I think, in 2004 or five in London. Uh, they had a group called Dirt Cafe. And initially, it was just six people, some food people, some scientists. They would sit and have lunch, and they would talk about big ideas. And from that, apparently, a lot of really cool you know, collaborative pro- projects came out. And there was a book, uh, Hungry City. Mm-hmm. It was written by Carolyn Steele. And, can uh, a city really be hungry? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Is I, it ever can not? Can I tell you about <laughs> Hungry City? Since we're really getting loose, we're talking across all subjects. One of the biggest things in Hungry City is about waste. And until 200 years ago, most people save their refuse, their own poo-poo, <laughs> and they um, really? used it. And somehow it was like shipped out to the outer boroughs of London, and it was used as fertilizer. Really? And that's the biggest talk in the book is about wow. how you deal with waste and you know more than how food gets you, how, how waste gets out. And um, it's kind of weird. That <laughs> I mean, is weird. I actually think that's really you interesting. Know. I saw a thing on on like Manhattan Cable Network or something that was all about that about a project that's happening here. And I I wrote it down so that I could contact these people. So we, I, I'm going to follow up on that. And, 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 and it up. if there was like really a, a soil thing. shortage, we can get a what's that pot called for your nose? It's like a nene pot or something. What do they call it? I don't a know. neti pot. Neti pot for, for I your just butt bought one to help get more. <laughs> Well, let me fertilizer. tell you what they used to call it. It was called night soil. Yeah. So basically, you'd saved your pot of night soil, and then it all got dumped in some some you know court court horse and cart baggage sure. or whatever they're yeah. called. And then trucked the out. Days. Yeah, trucked out by horse and back. Well, yeah. I mean, if you don't have like a plumbing system, you kind of have to do something with it. I mean, yeah, yeah absolutely. And so people are talking about you know how how to do you know how to harness that here. In the, Who do you in think would be? I think. Uh, what can Brown do for you? It should be UPS that takes <laughs> that, that oh, campaign God. over, not FedEx. <laughs> that's the most creative thought I've heard in two weeks. Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> well, that's, well um, that's Patrick. He's got his little truck, his brown trucks for the brown. <laughs> they're like, we don't have to clean it. <laughs> um, so tell us about this beer, Sam. Uh, oh, this is, uh, this is the Southampton Double White Ale. Uh, from out on Long Island, and they um, have interpreted 
the Belgian style white and kicked it up a notch as the, as Emerald says. But it's uh so it's a strong white ale. So it's light. It's definitely fruity, a little spicy. Um but it's got a nice kick to it. So um you know, again, it's a local brewery. Uh this would be not a beer that we would be tasting during um the Cicerone training because it's not a traditional style and what does uh, that mean it's not a traditional style? It's uh an interpretation, an American interpretation. So with this training that Jimmy was talking about that we do in his cabaret space at Jimmy's forty three, we're uh certifying certified beer servers uh at the first level of this Cicerone beer sommelier program. So it's really just the basics that we cover. Um, we cover four different regions, one American beers, uh, two Belgian beers, three um, German and Czech, and then four, they call it the British Isles, but we know it's Ireland, Scotland, and England. Um, so we just cover about 25 styles from those wow. regions. Um, and then the American interpretations is a whole other ballgame, but there's really yeah. only two indigenous styles uh, that we consider in this training to be American and it's those are light American lagers and then the steam beers from California and that's it. What, what's the steam hey, Jimmy, beer? Hey, Jimmy, taste some of it. Uh, yeah, let me have your other, other one and I'll. Yeah, there you go. Oh, what, I like what's this. A it's beer a little. Uh, it's a little like. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not clean in a way. It's like it almost feels like it's alive. You know, it's like moving around in your. Yeah, mouth. this like this it. one's got uh, the yeast in it. It's unfiltered, so yeah, it's definitely a living beer. Um, mm, the steam beer, Katie, uh, has its roots in San Francisco uh-huh. and during the gold rush, um, mm. the Midwestern lager brewers from German and Czech descent, uh, followed the gold rush. And in all the boom towns, there would be these very hastily put up breweries to satisfy the sure. needs of all the people. Uh-huh. And, um... Well, ale yeast ferments at warm temperatures and lager yeast ferments at cool temperatures. Right. And uh, temperature control is, you know, important throughout brewing and also storage and service. But these lager brewers were were setting up breweries uh, with no caves and no place, no cellars or anything. And so they had lagers fermenting at warm temperatures, which created a lot more CO2, mm-hmm. and also gave them more ale-like qualities. So there's two theories on why they would call it steam beer. One is that they would actually cool the wort for the beer on the roof of the breweries in San Francisco. Huh. And it, because it was cool there, it was a very efficient way to cool the wort. So you would see these buildings that were steaming on top. Ah. And then the other theory is that there was excess CO2 produced uh, by this warm fermentation. And whenever they would tap one of the kegs for this beer, um, there would be this huge hiss. And it wouldn't be steam, of course. It would just be CO2. But they, of course, uh, immediately thought of the steam engines when they saw this hiss. So there's two different theories on it. Not sure which one is is the root, uh, but anchor steam is the... the, Is the root of that beer? Wow. That's the one. That's Very a Maytag. Cool, Sam. Is that Thank a Maytag? You. That's Fritz Maytag. Um, and if you call your beer a steam beer in the U.S., you will get a letter from Fritz oh. saying, 
I have the steam beer, and you have to use like two E's. <laughs> <laughs> so we call that that style California Common uh-huh. uh, if somebody else is doing it. But, you better uh, misspell that word. You better misspell it. The Flying Dog people from Colorado and now Fredericksburg uh, spelled theirs S T E E M. I actually cool. went just. I came back from the south, from Virginia. That is the capital of misspelling words, like really? shop. S H O P P E, yeah, sure. grill G R I L L E. You know, yeah. it's like well, there's a whole old bunch even O L D E, right? Don't they do a lot of ye oldie shoppy type stuff? Yeah, yeah. So weird. It's well, like the abonics of the southern. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think it's like you know. Trying you know, there's to a there's a bagel shop S H O P P E on Bedford Avenue, Williamsburg. Bagel shoppy. Shoppy. Wow. Well, I keep telling Sam Edwards, I'm like, you've misspelled the name on the store. You've got it. You've got it. Jenna. <laughs> well, let's take a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll uh, talk with Nate, who's let's come back with Nate. Yeah, absolutely. guest. And yeah. Then we will cover scandal. Then we'll go into scandals. Scandals yes. of the decade of the knots. Of course, you guys didn't like the fish. But let's see, being the oldest of you, you don't remember. You weren't born yet. Except Rufus. Back in about 1953, I was 10, and Dad said he'd been taking me up to Rice Lake for about since the age, the age of three, he says, you see. Well, we'd go up to Jim's Bait and get some chubs, you know, and then head up to Beatty's Resort and rent us a boat, an old wooden boat. Dad would stick me in between his legs, put a rod in my hands, and proceed to roll me around Beatty's Point, you see. Strip-ons and chubs, that's all we'd ever use. Here we go, boys. I'm a-going fishing all the time. You can come a-fishing, too. You bet your life, your loving wife, she gonna catch more fish than you. Well, any fish bite, if you got the good bait, here's something that I would like to relate. Any fish bite if you got good bait. I'm a going fishing, yeah I'm going fishing. You can come a fishing too. Play it, boys. I'd wake up to the smell of bacon Saturday morning, you know, no warning. Dad'd come up next to my bed and whisper, I want to go fishing. I'd say, yeah. And he'd say, it won't be quiet anymore if you wake your mother up. Be quiet. Well, he even made me soak my egg-stained dishes off in the sink so when I got home, Ma wouldn't have nothing to yell about. Well, it's still early, the sun is still low Jump in the truck, I'm ready to go Got my pole, brand new line Gonna take you to a new place of mine Hey, I'm going fishing all the time You can come a-fishing too You bet your life, 
Your loving wife, she gonna catch more fish than you. Will any fish bite if you got the right bait? Here's a little something I'd like to relate. Any fish bite if you got good bait? Yes, I'm going fishing. Yeah, I'm going fishing. You can come a fishing to play it, boys. the smell of bacon in the morning? Well, hey, I'll tell you, because it makes me think every day is a fishing day. Yes, it does. And we are back, and this is the main course on Heritage Radio Network. We are sponsored today by Salumi. Armandino Batali. Armandino Batali. Seattle, Washington. I, I feel like I'm basking in some sort of extra special glow because the Batali family has recognized Heritage Radio Network in the main They've course. They've always recognized I'm, I'm us. very, very impressed with you, Patrick. Um, well, so we have um, we are engineered today by Nat Wiener. Our producer is Jack Inslee. Both and guys are doing a, a great job. Absolutely. Jack, you uh, has become you. He has become oh. a great kind of like uh, executive. He is force at the network, him. and, and our fun guests, to see all this press come out. About I know it's it's your really post, nice. You know all these other yeah. ones. I won't say yet. But. Well deserved. Um, and our guests today are Jimmy Carbone from Jimmy's Forty Three, Sam Merritt from the Civilization of Beer, and joining us now is Nat. Applebaum? Apple, Nate Appleman. Nate, Nate Appleman. What Thanks, did I just Katie. Say? <laughs> just to check for Katie. I believe you said Nate or just Nat Applebaum. Yeah. Just, okay. Where's the cricket Sorry. now? It's the Cree- 80. Cree- de- it's that 80 How year do you old do cricket. Thing. I could never do cricket. Nate Applebaum. No. No. <laughs> I'm such a city Nate person. Nate Appleman. Did I do it right then? Yes. Yes. Nate Appleman. I'm so sorry. Um, that's what happens when you drink beer now, while you're on the air. Now it's official. Nate can say he is going to be the sh- he is the chef he is of the, the chef. new about to open Polinos, right? Is Pol- it Polinos Bar and Pizzeria? And where's that going to be located? It's on Bowery and Houston. Beauty. And you're going to do wood-fired whole animals and wood-fired pizzas and Well, we're going to spe- we're going to focus on wood-fired cuisine. Uh, uh-huh. one of my main things is bringing in whole animals and butchering them and using the whole Are you animal. trained as a butcher? Uh, as far as... As far know, as experience, yes. I can answer that, yes. I mean, he, you probably broke down 10,000 animals in your day. <laughs> I, I doubt that, but... Well, um, I, I wouldn't. You know, it, it's something that I, I do. I, I like to butcher. Me uh, too. Was I ever trained as a butcher? No, not necessarily. I worked as a butcher for five years. Well, then you're probably better than I am. No. I've forgotten actually a lot of the stuff that I knew. Uh, all this but and also Jesus. the whole the thing is is that when I was working as a butcher, it was boxed meats, and you're dealing with whole animals. We just never got that. I mean, it just wasn't trendy in the '80s to do whole animals. It was all about the box, and um, you know, it was the guys I worked with had done the whole animals, but not any time recently. So it's kind of a great. D- development if we want to talk about sort of the history of what's happened over the last 10 years and during the break we were talking with Jimmy about you know craft beers and and the rise of craft beers and pairing beer with with food in a way that people have really never done before and then the other big trend that I see in the food industry is restaurateurs like yourself or chefs who get training 
who pull, you know figure out how to break a, an animal down and work with a whole animal instead of just buying like those middle meat cuts and uh, selling you know the high end you know strip steak, porterhouse, you know maybe some short ribs. Um, but working with the whole animal is is a, is a real challenge. What it, is the? Uh, that's a lot of beef, man. Is that's it a, a challenge? Uh, yeah, I mean, it is a real challenge, um, and yes, I, I would agree. I'd say it is a trendy thing to do. Um, I've been doing it for years, so I, I believe I was ahead of the curve on the trend, um, and it's not why I do it. I don't do it to be trendy. I do it, you know, number one, I did it because it was economical. You yeah. know, to have a restaurant that is not charging people an arm and a leg, but you want to serve the best product possible, you only have a few options, and one of the options that I found was to bring in whole animals and butcher them ourselves, and pass that you know cost savings on to the customer. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But also, you know, the people that are raising the meat. You know, that that's that's the other huge focus that I got into after the economic part of it. It was something that I found later, and and through working with uh, Patrick at Heritage, it's it's really you know kind of um, all come together, and and that has actually been my main focus. You know, the economics of it is great, but you know, doing justice to the people that are raising the animals properly right. is the main Supporting focus. Supporting that uh, effort in terms of animal husbandry it is, and livestock and, production. And I can say the, the mm-hmm. restaurants that Nate's been a part of have made it so easy for a group like ours to do their job because they are buying whole animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it just goes you know right off straight whole. Uh, even the slaughterhouse has an easier time of it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, and people forget how hard it is for a slaughterhouse to cut up you know, a pig into 40 different cuts. So Absolutely. when they can sell it whole, it's like they, they always hope that they have a lot of whole pigs, you know, or yeah. primal pigs. Yeah. You know, I, I got really sick of Patrick calling me and saying, I got 40 pounds of shank. Nobody will buy it. And, and so, you know, I mean, it was kind of a, it, it was a joke. Like I would buy it, but then it turned into like, well, actually we're just going to do whole animals. So we can't take that. And then if we inspire other people and the trend, you know, gets even bigger and bigger, Patrick won't have to be on the phone every week calling the people that he can, I love it. He, he He's can, on a national <laughs> campaign to make me call those people. Literally going whole hog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everybody goes whole hog. It makes his job easier. Absolutely. Thank you, Nate. Well, I am going to have to eat at your place at least five times a week now just to make Yeah, up that's for that. right. No, but that's amazing. Um, and also, I mean, well, I want to ask you how you're finding you were such a fan of the local and you supported so many local guys in Northern California. How would you, and now all of a sudden you're looking into East Coast people, like how would you differentiate between the two terroirs or places or distribution centers for animals to supply a restaurant? Well, you know, I, I was in California for eight years, so, you know, that that was something that took time to develop all those relationships, all the, you know, finding those products that that took years, you know, now being in New York just for a few months, six months, um, it's. I'm just now scratching the surface, so I, I don't know if I would really be able to um, tell you the the main differences. I, I will say that everyone here on the East Coast has been very supportive in pointing me in the right direction of farmers and, and ranchers and, and people that have good product and things to look out for. So it's it's definitely a, um, you know, it's a nice community-based restaurant scene in New York where um, it's the same in San Francisco as well, but, you know, I, I think... You you think of New York as being a little more hard and difficult to break into, but I, I've actually found the opposite. Oh, I think we're, to it's, ourselves. A very, yes. it's a very welcome. welcoming community here. I mean, what are we honestly. drinking now? 
Yeah. Oh, that's the local one. <laughs> oh, this is yeah. the local one. Oh, I'm How not there. Apropos. I don't think I'm there yet. Appropriate? I'm still doing the uh, Southampton thing here. Um, and I want to ask about your oven. Um, I mean, if you're doing a wood fire oven source restaurant, like obviously the oven is of huge importance. Like what goes into it? What kind do you use? Like what's its temperature? Well, it it all depends on what you're what you're cooking and what you're looking for. Um, you know, I, I think we have two wood fired ovens at the restaurant, and I don't necessarily put as as much importance as uh, on the oven as a lot of people do. I, I think if you can cook with fire, you can you can manipulate the fire to do what you want to do. I I, I don't put a lot of importance on the type of oven. Mm-hmm. Now, temperature wise. Also depends on the product that you're doing. If you're cooking mm-hmm. Neapolitan pizza, you want an oven to be 750 to 800 degrees, which I did in in San Francisco. But coming to New York, I'm I'm getting away from the Neapolitan pizza. Um, I'm doing something. Why is that? I mean, is it? I mean, I'm interested. Like, uh, is it just you have a cre- creative um, curiosity uh, for a new part of Italy, or? Uh, is it just- I always have a curiosity. I always want to grow and do something new. I don't want to rest on anything that I've done in the past. And, you know, opening a restaurant in New York is a new chapter for me, and, and I want to do new things. Um, also, you know, Neapolitan pizza is great. I love it. It's something I did for a really long time, and, um, you know, I, I enjoy eating it, but not everyone enjoys eating Neapolitan pizza. I want to make a pizza that anybody can enjoy. Well, I think you have to then explain exactly what is the difference between Neapolitan pizza and some other kind of pizza. And I see that you brought your pizza chef with you, Beth Ann. And so um, maybe she'd like to explain exactly what the vision is here. I mean, I don't really know the difference. Okay, Beth Ann. Beth Ann doesn't want to talk. She's not ready to. Okay, she's not ready to share. Beth Ann actually sounds exactly like Nate. But you're going to. (laughs) Hi, this is Beth Ann. Yeah, but you're going to tell us now, right? Uh, Neapolitan pizza is the traditional pizza. It's the thin crust. It's a thinner crust, but it's cooked at a high heat, and Mm -hmm. it's so kind of like what we what they do here at Roberta's. Yeah. Which is a thin crust pizza cooked very hot, very, very high fast heat. in and, the wood oven. Um, it tends to be uh, floppy in in a sense. You know, it, it's something that in Naples you eat with a knife and fork. And it's, that, uh, it's not meant to be crispy. The Napolitano, in fact, to be certified by them, the pizza has to be able to fold in four without breaking the crust, mm. right? Yes. So, I mean, it's it's not a crispy pizza. And, and I feel that, you know, a, a lot of, my, myself included, I love crispy pizza. I want a pizza where I can pick up the slice and it stays straight and I can hold it and eat it. Yeah. Um, that's not Neapolitan pizza, no. which I also have a love for, but it's something that, you know, I'm, I'm moving away so from. So what is that? And yeah, and Thin, is it like crispy. the New York slice? No, it's not. Is no. it in a triangle? The New York slice no, no, no. is not necessarily so crispy. I mean, I think one of the best New Some York slices be. is on the Upper West Side at Solid Carmine's. These two old You know what? I, I think... Well, one of them just died. I'm not sure what we're actually going to, to do, but... I, <laughs> and I would hate to put a label on it, you know, I mean... But you you must have to contend with the New York slice. I mean, I would say 60% of New Yorkers kind of rely on the slice as a weekly part And not part only that, New Yorkers are just... I mean, like, everybody has their, spe- their special Okay, which are yours? My, well, my favorite... Yeah. Like for for low rent pizza, just regular slice. Only one Sal and Carmine's on a hundred and second street and Broadway. Okay. The guys have been there for 30 years. One of the brothers just died, but they came over from the old country in the late forties after the war. 
and uh, and they've been there ever since, and they make their own dough, and that is key. What's their crust like? I mean, does it? It is salty, mm-hmm. crisp, and thin, but still with a little bit of chew to it. Right. I think their crust is perfect. What's it called again? Sal and Carmine's. Sal and Carmine's. And and For Carmine the... just died. Oh. Yeah. And his brother, Sal, is still running the pizza. He's like 79 or 80 years old now. He's like hands are like totally deformed with arthritis. He's still, That's you know, awesome. doing his dough. Pizza's I think... a little bit more regular now, but still yeah. delicious. <laughs> It's great, and his nephew is is uh, is one of the other deckhands there for the. Other. I love Patsy's, the pure slice on the original one on one hundred and twenty fourth, and there was an old Ray's on seventy second in Columbus that made such good pizza, but of course that now. property is just yeah, so gone now. expensive. I I love um, oh. Pizza Town used to be great on one hundred tenth and Broadway, but they that that went down years ago, and now it's a familia, which is really an embarrassment to the whole pizza. Mimi's community. on eighty fourth, of course, Joe. Pizza on Bleecker. Yeah. Well, mean, and uh, Arthur's and also John's Pizzeria on Bleecker Street. Is that what you're talking about? No, John's? I was talking about Joe's. Oh, okay, Joe's. Yeah. <laughs> um, Is thanks it because for giving I'm me credit years for old? being born and raised in New York. You're like, you're sure not mispronouncing that. <laughs> Let me put in a plug for a really good pizza place. There's a place in South Street Seaport called Il Brigante. Huh. It's on really? Front Street. On Front Street, there's it's trying to be a little restaurant row. There's like a New Zealand pub. There's a wine bar. There's there's a beer hall, um, but Il Brigante is really good. There's a kid named Neil. He's friends with Mark Bello, the pizza chef. Oh yeah. Yeah, and it, it's really good. He makes his own dough. They have a wood fired oven. Yeah. And we go there a lot as a family, and it's just like a little unassuming trattoria, but he does a great job, and he doesn't really get any any press or attention. Okay, well, obviously. Il Brigante. Here's a shout street. out to Il that's, Brigante. That's my neighborhood, and I've never heard of it. Really? No, it's it's really wow. Good. It's, you live down there? Yeah, but now I have to go. El Brigante. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And it's great you for kids. Did your work, Jimmy. Yeah, it, pizzerias are always good for kids. So you pizzerias guys are going to do... Good, cost what else you are you going to do at the, at the... So you're going to have... You're only doing wood-fired foods? Is that like your hook? Uh, that's my hook, yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, 95% so of So everything is, you make is going to be cooked in a wood fire. Yeah. Thank you very much, Sam. Minus um, ice cream. And, right. Minus desserts. Yeah. Why not the ice cream? <laughs> no, desserts. Some of the desserts will be cooked in the oven. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Like roasted fruits or whatever. You're going to have to just come and see. I'm going to come. I'm telling <laughs> no, you. No menu previews? No. Some Nothing. guy's going to copy Nate. And we're like doing Tennessee breakfast, lunch, and, and dinner. Like, so the ice cream. Wow. You are a glutton for punishment, man. Uh, served whole. He's going to do a big 50-foot pie with a whole hog on it. <laughs> Uh no, probably we probably won't be cooking whole animals. Um we build a butcher room in the basement, uh refrigerated butcher room, butcher walk in, everything and we're going to be bringing in the whole cows, pigs, lambs and breaking them down into individual cuts. So with beef, I mean like with pork, the the pig is a much more user-friendly animal. You, you make your sausages, you can make pate, rillette, I mean everything. You know, there's so many things to do with pork. But with beef, like Big. That's all there's that ground a, beef, 70% There's of it, an right? awful lot of ground beef there. So or 60%? What 50, are you? 50, all right. I'm trying to be more dramatic. 50%? That's, a, that's half I just, I feel like... 600, I mean, they slaughter, the slaughter weighs, what, like 1,300, 1,400 pounds? And some of those pounds? cuts of the 50 that you're saying are not ground are still weird cuts. They're like massive roasts from the back can area. Yeah, or yeah, stuff I mean, from it's... the chuck roll. Like, I, I went to something that the National Cattlemen's Beef Association put on for a bunch of chefs at uh, Food Arts... 
covered and and it was uh you know it was the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and they got a couple of chefs to come in and and show these cuts which they said you could use as like sort of faux short ribs or faux this faux that and you know frankly we all got like four different cuts to play with and we got to cook and they had whole ingredients thing and it was uh you know it was rough going i mean i having worked in a butcher i cooked for you know 20 years i'm certainly not a chef but i've been cooking all my life and i didn't find it so easy to work with some of these cuts they were not they didn't really braise all that well they were not good for frying you know saute i mean i'm not sure where (laughs) i mean i i felt like there was a real challenge there to try to create these new steaks or new cuts that they could sell, then sell through in the restaurant industry. I thought that was pretty challenging. Well, it, it is a challenge, and, and that's why n- not many people are doing it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's the same exact cuts as, as a pig. It, it truly is. Same muscles, same bones, same everything. Yeah. Um, also, uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough that my partner in Polino's also owns a few restaurants around town to where... I never heard of them. A couple called Balthazar and Pastis. Oh, and, what? And um, <laughs> six others. Minetta? Uh, Hello? What? So hopefully we'll be able to, you know, let's just say we have some extra ground beef. Ground. Uh, yeah, so you have a place to go with all that stuff. Pravda, Lucky Strike, the vision behind Odeon. I yeah. mean, let's be for real. I mean, talk about everyday places that are actually... Incredibly what good quality. One of the greatest values. And great value. In yeah, the world absolutely. because of the volume that each of those places does. Because they're volume businesses, they have high turnover of product. They yes. can get more fresher product in each day. Uh, you know, even just their lightest touch keeps a cut of our 150 pigs a week going. Yeah. Be it whether they go with the trotters, whole trotters, you know, right. with the uh, four Well, I think that Balthazar was, you know, that whole empire actually was very much uh, part of sort of pushing the needle towards the, um, you know, the whole the whole animal movement because they were they were so French based in the sense of like creating something out of cuts that were not necessarily all that desirable. Well, I would say, you know, a big part. I mean, that's Keith McNally. A big yeah. part of his uh, strength is, you know, Riyadh and Lee. You know, who somehow, as two chefs, managed to run Balthazar, Pastis, and Mineta. You know, it's a really solid restaurant group, and I think it's a tribute to Nate to come into such a a legitimate... Because you know it's going to be high volume, meaning it's a food that a lot of people like, and I think it's a great expansion of that team. We had a very nice woman here from Balthazar. Who was that? Kate. Kate, Somebody. Yeah. Yeah, front of the house. She was lovely. Yeah. She had her back. We should have her back. Absolutely. she's uh, She was actually the queen of Balthazar. I mean, she made Balthazar run for a decade. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> and okay, she's, she's no moved longer on there. To another, uh, she's moved on to I another I think she's fabulous moved on place. to an even uh, very Even a more illustrious. Well, uh, yes, actually, it's true. In fact, I think the last I heard is she moved on to the kind of Freeman's world. Oh. Which is a great also restaurant group. Yeah, so. absolutely. Kate's uh, her own orbit. Oh, yeah. In fact, my cousin has just uh, rented out his entire building to the guy who owns Freeman's in uh, Williamsburg on South 7th and Wythe Avenue. And then yeah. down on that uh, on their street, you can get your hair cut and stuff? I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you used to have to go to that, my cousin's house, with a practically an armed escort. So things have really changed since he bought into that neighborhood. It's really been amazing. He's very smart. So Nate, when is your restaurant opening up? Uh, let's let's say mid to late February. Uh huh. And how Which, you doing with the all way, the permits? Which, by the way, for our listeners stuff? out there, means 
hopefully yeah, by sometime Christmas. in March <laughs> or April. <laughs> how are you doing with your permits? Or more importantly, how are you doing with Con Ed? Uh, everything is going smoothly. Oh, that's amazing. That's beautiful. Because, I mean, I have talked to so many restaurant owners who are like, you know, everything is ready to go, but Con Ed won't hook up the gas. <laughs> I guess that's not an issue for you, though, because you're wood-fired. Where are you going to get your um, your wood from, by the way? Uh, there's there's four different people that I'm looking at right now. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's it's that's another thing that was a huge change in California. You know, wood is just abundant. We used almond wood because um, California's leading producer of almonds. Trees, right. Um, coming here, there's a lot of laws and regulations that I found out about um, because some beetle. I'm not really sure, but you know, the Chinese longhorn beetle. Yeah, I, I think so. Asian All, longhorn beetle. Any yeah. wood that comes from 50 miles outside of New York City has to be kiln dried. Which oh. adds so much cost oh to the god, wood. Oh my god, I bet. But it it produces a better product, uh-huh. so it could be one of those things that the expense, you know, is offset by yeah, the yeah. The you quality. don't use as much because the wood is harder and more tempered. Yeah. Correct. Well, Nick, do you want to put in your first order just to save time since we're together? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would be interested. What will it be like ordering pieces. from the pork or beef side? I mean, like, how often? Like, what's your prediction of what your I mean, are you trying to? And let me also ask you: ducks or like? Yeah, are you into breeds, specific breeds? Yeah, and and you know, to touch on that about pigs, I'm very partial to uh, one farm in Missouri uh, called Newman Farms, who raises all Berkshire pigs. Uh Um, I'm very very partial to them, which you can get through Heritage Foods. Um, So yeah, our first order will probably be three or four of those, maybe five or six. And, and what uh, about beef? Do you is there a particular breed of beef? And well, I Are you an Angus man pork, or a Hereford like, or do you go for the the fancy cross or heritage breeds or? Uh, you know, it, it's I don't have the knowledge of of beef like I do pigs. Mm-hmm. Um, so now it's just a matter of of finding one. Also, it, it beef is a little more limiting to to find a, somebody who will provide you with a whole cow. I whole, actually, I have. A, I think I might have an answer. Is ancient white park. That's just a prediction for the beef that chefs are going to get into. It's super rare. Really? But so unbelievable. I tasted Leaping Water Farms. Like, I can't wait to hear really? what people think of that beef. Patrick, what was the beef that you sent me over Christmas? Ancient White Park. Ah, because it was, I got to tell you, it was it was ground beef. It was phenomenal. <clears throat> I'll take one of those. Yeah. Uh-huh. I Patrick, mean, really, it was so delicious. Can we ask about what you th- your opinions of local farm-raised meats are? I mean, I think that uh, local farm meats, um, you know, are, I, well, I guess I look to like what I learned from Carlo Piccini when I worked with him at Slow Food, which is that he's always looking for the best gastronomic quality. Mm-hmm. And if that's raised locally, awesome. But if it's not, you know, he will look elsewhere. Like if he loves Yemen raisins, <laughs> Yemen is he's where gonna he's get, going. He's going to go to Yemen. Why wouldn't he? Well, the reason I ask is we just finished up a local sausage week. It sounds really weird having sausage week at a bar, but uh, we got only... It was part of the Union Square market, right? Yeah, we, we had yeah. only sausages from the green markets, and some uh-huh. of them are really good. We and which did tam- you like? Tamarack Hollow. Okay. We like, we like their, their different types of sausages. They have a maple-smoked uh, kielbasa. They have mm. different types of pork sausages. And uh, we always get from Three Corner Field Farm uh, their different types of lamb sausages. And um, the other one was uh, Flying Pigs Farm makes a great kielbasa. 
So but, I would like I would like then to they should market it nationally. Yeah, you they know? should. And anyone who doesn't have a sausage that could should buy from there. You know. But my question is like, what do you know about? I mean, they don't actually make their own sausage. They have some butcher or some slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you know about that process? And I mean, how could it relate to Nate? You know, if, if he wanted to get whole animals locally, um, you know, is 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 that something that's established? I hear about issues with with slaughterhouses, or there's not enough slaughterhouses. Right. There are not enough slaughterhouses in the Northeast. Although we are going to have on this program somebody who is just opening up a new slaughterhouse in upstate New York. I think I, I think basically the answer to that is regionality. You know, the very local is very high expensive. So if the regional movement is part of the local movement, then I would say that includes places like Virginia, the northern reaches of North Carolina, and within that area there's like the solution for nate or whoever yeah so, the mid-atlantic states yeah absolutely i think that if they're, if they're considered acceptable by the like religious right of the sustainable food movement <laughs> i think it's against the law for the sustainable our food goal movement is to be at 25 pigs a week from virginia by the summer for sure okay then well on that note let's take a short break and uh, we'll be back in a few minutes with our guests Jimmy Carboni Sam Merritt Nate Appleman I got it right this time Nate (laughs) everybody knows where you go when the sun goes down I think you only live to see the lights uptown I wasted my time when I would try 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 Cause when the lights have lost their glow, you cry, cry, cry Soon your sugar daddies will all be gone You wake up some cold day and find you're alone You'll call for me, but I'm gonna tell you bye, bye, bye When I turn around and walk away, you'll cry, cry, cry You're gonna cry, 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 and you cry alone when everyone's forgotten and you're left on your own You're gonna cry, cry, cry Best to hide this low-down feeling 
I try to make believe there's nothing wrong But they're always asking me about you, darling And it hurts me so to tell them that you're gone If they ask me, I guess I'd be denied That I've been unhappy all along But if they hurt my heart, they'd hear it cry Where's my darling when she coming home? I ask myself a million times what's right for me to do To try to lose my blues alone or hang around for you Well, I make it pretty good until that moon comes shining through And then I get the doggone lonesome Stopping too One lonely hour seems forever Sixty minutes more to wait for you But I guess I'll keep waiting till you're with me Cause I believe that loving you is right But I don't care if the sun don't rise tomorrow If I can't have you with me tonight well, I know I'll keep on loving you cause true love can't be killed. <laughs> We're back on the Heritage Radio Network. This is the main course with your hosts, Katie Kiefer and Patrick Martins. Mega Fibber. And in our Who is the Mega Fibber? This is a quiz. Who is the Mega Fibber? <laughs> Mega Fibber on Oprah. Oh, it was uh, uh, a thousand points, uh, a, many, a million little pieces. What's his name? Amelia Lopez is that's enough. Yeah, I've forgotten his name because I'm I'm over eighty and I'm senile. Um, okay. Anyway, so we're back. Scandals? We're going to talk about scandals. We have Jimmy Carboni in the studio with us from Jimmy's Forty Three. Paul McCartney's Hello? wife, Heather Mills. Mills. You are good. I am Liza Minnelli's husband, David uh, something, and he sued her for alimony, and he said that she was beating. Why? Why? You don't get the point. Hey, come on. Who is Woody Allen's mother-in-law? Mother-in-law? Soon Yeep. Mia Farrow. Oh, yeah. Ew! (laughs) 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 You haven't even, like, really taken that one in before. Oh, we're being joined by our friend Sam Merritt from the Civilization of Beer. He's coming back to the studio now. Did you hear that? We're having a quiz, Sam, on scandals. Who is Woody Allen's mother-in-law? Uh... Mia Farrow. Mia Farrow. Doesn't that upset you? I I think that that whole thing was just really unfortunate, I thought. Name the Seattle teacher that had a relationship with her sixth grade student, went to jail for seven years, and when she got out, married him. I married him. Um, Jack's wife. looking at him. (laughs) Jack's it I is Mary Kay Le Tourneau. Mary Kay Le no. Tourneau. That's right. Le Tourneau. Le Tourneau. Oui. Voilà. Eh bien. Alors. So, but let's, I was really wanting to focus on the Republican Party scandals because the reason I like that topic is that this is a bunch of guys 
that goes around proselytizing about family values, abstinence-only education. Uh, you know, we can't, you know, no extramaritals, no this, that, and the other thing. And yet, when political scandal erupts, it is nearly always, I mean, Elliot Spitzer accepted, it is nearly always somebody from the Republican side of the political spectrum. And I just find that... Is it the, true, though? Yeah. Is what you're saying true? Yes, it is true. In fact... It's nearly always from the Republican? Nearly always. It Didn't Bill Clinton a, turn around and, and... What about any Kennedy? Teddy Kennedy. In the last decade. Oh, oh. oh, oh only oh, the oh. last decade. Let's stick to the last decade. Yeah. <laughs> um, because those were the Bush years, and that's when we were having, you know, these the whole family values thing. Do you thing think it's like a liberal-run media? That's just trying to get the guy in power down? I think that, uh, well, the thing that sticks in my craw is not that they do this, but that they pretend that they don't. Well, Spitzer. Spitzer never, he never said we should have abstinence-only sex ed. He never said I'm never going to have an affair. Didn't he persecute prostitutes or something like that? He prosecuted pimps? prostitutes, yeah, he did. And then he went to them. Yeah. Okay. Nobody's I just say, I don't, I just want to be but fair. But by a factor of, I'd say, one to six... For every six Republicans, there's only one Democrat who's who's pulling out the, you know, hypocritical plug here. But who is our constituency? The libertines, you know. I mean, the hustler guys. The no, the thing that bugs me about it is simply the hypocrisy of it. I don't care what you do. I just don't want to hear something coming out of your mouth saying that it, you're not doing it, and that nobody else should do it, and that it's all wrong, and it's against family values and Christianity, and blah blah blah. You know, you can do whatever you want, but shut up. No, I think it's more egregious when they do it, but I don't know that there's more of them. Shut up. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, don't talk. If you're going to screw around, then stop talking about how nobody else should be allowed to do this. I mean, when Newt Gingrich was going after Bill Clinton, okay, again, before this past decade, you know, and it turns out five years later, he comes out and says, yeah, I was having an affair while I was, you know, yelping for blood. And bringing the Clinton administration to a grinding halt in his second term, you know, it's like they completely impeach the guy. Come on. Are we kidding? That was unbelievable. It does become more egregious when they do it. But don't forget about Hart. Gary Hart. Yeah. What about I am gay? Jim McGreevy. Remember him? I loved him. I thought that was hilarious. I felt bad for his. But and then it wasn't really a scandal. That wasn't. Well, it was was a scandal because no, it was a scandal because he had put his boyfriend on the payroll. That's true. Otherwise, it didn't matter. But it was a it was, scandal for his wife. Yeah, but she had been involved in threesomes. I mean, obviously, they were very sexually adventurous. Yikes! So you know, what, about what the makes honor- a scandal? That's let's yeah, define that's scandal. Uh, that's a good question, Sam. What um, makes a scandal? Well, yeah. in the case of Jim McGreevy, it was that he had put his boyfriend on the public payroll. That was a scandal. In the case of Bill Clinton, it was not because he'd gotten a blowjob from Monica Lewinsky. Lewinsky, but because he lied about it in front of Congress and perjured himself. And it was upon that particular issue that his impeachment proceedings uh, turned. It was not whether or not he had done it. It was that he had lied about doing it. And so that was the scandal. I mean, you know, for uh, now, who was the guy? It's like calling the kettle black, right? Well, John Ensign and um, and the the guy from North Carolina uh, who's just been impeached, basically. Um, the Appalachian left. Trail. Yeah, the guy. No, the guy. What was? Oh, I'm sorry, you guys. I'm like having a total. Is he a pig farmer? I hope not. I doubt it. He <laughs> <laughs> had a oh, lovely, pretty wife. What about uh, John Edwards? Mark. Yeah, John Edwards. He was out a guy I control. wanted to believe. I like. So that I guy. guess the Democrats and Republicans are equal now. Yeah, but John Edwards is not proselytizing. See, that's the difference. 
To me, yeah, it's the hypocrisy. Yeah. Okay, John Edwards is a scumbag. Fine. But he's not telling everybody that this is wrong and that it's not against the Lord's will, like John Ensign and this other guy, Mark. Come on, Jack, help me out here, man. What's Jack, his name from say North something. Carolina? Um, so Pat Robertson made these uh, comments about Haiti this past week, and and um, there are a lot of people that have talked about making deals with the devil, uh, and it's it's throughout blues music and also you know some of the most famous you know the crossroads robert johnson talked about making a deal with the devil um and it's not in the past decade but he was a democrat and i'm just you know i'm i think about how how well absurd it is that he would talk about you know the people of haiti making a deal with the devil for the french to leave but uh robert johnson the most famous, one of the most famous blues singers ever talked about that. And I don't, people took him seriously. That he had made that is personally just a, beer a guy deal with the devil? Digression there. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Good. Let's talk about the good things from the, the aughts. Is, is it time for that? Oh, yeah. Oh, you are Jimmy, so cute, oh, Jimmy. Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy Mr. You are. Like, close yeah, enough to hold. Let's nail down the Republicans, I want a hug. Come on. Group hug. Yeah, group hug. Jimmy's a good hugger. All right, no one's getting up. No, that's good. Uh, okay, so what were the good things in the odds? Scandal. Beer. I think that the, the odds were about the rise of craft, not the rise, but like the just rebirth and growth of craft beer, of artisanal okay. food in general. Yeah. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, okay, but great, artisanal Jimmy. food Jimmy, in okay, general. Okay, cut right? the thing on Jimmy. Uh, and also, Brady. in the last five years <laughs> Jack, since Michael Pollan published on. the Omnivore's <laughs> Dilemma, the uh, public awareness around food systems that i think has been huge and that i think is one of the most positive developments of the last 10 years is, is like people suddenly taking back control over really their profile. food okay the odds from jimmy's number 43 yeah. okay good, good. 2000, Let's your top 2002 five. after 9 11 i used to have a little restaurant and we turned it around and we called it patio dining and we brought in <laughs> chef sarah jenkins and we said what do we want to do we're going to do a market menu in 2002 to 2003 Sarah Jenkins did a market menu every day at, at patio dining. And, of course, after about nine or ten, ten months, it, just, it wasn't quite working. People really weren't ready for it. But that was only that seven was years ago. Mm. And um, you know, now by 2005, when I opened Jimmy's number 43, the, the, the landscape was still changing, but it wasn't quite there. I mean, Six Point had just opened as a brewery. Right. And we, we, we were focusing on them, but we still focused mostly on European beers, Belgian and German imports. And it wasn't only until maybe 2007 that some, suddenly everyone was like, yeah, green market's good, local's good. Yeah, craft but It beers. took a long time. And even I, my first restaurant I opened in 1994 was Muggsy's Chow Chow. We, we were always shopping at the farmer's market. We even got eggs, and then we made um, homemade pasta with that. And nobody Beautiful. was talking about that then. Well, right. Jimmy, don't take my, my local thing you know, the wrong way. I'm just saying they should specialize in what is, they are best adapted to specialize in because of like... No, you know, I, I actually, we had the, this one night we had at Jimmy's number 43, the Dirt Cafe, and Patrick, who wasn't an invited guest, he did he did come Thanks. and speak. <laughs> well, it's the first time awesome. we met. Yeah. But he, he left <laughs> us with uh, a he new definition of like someone who demanded to come up on stage. <laughs> We got past security. That's right. It's just this madman in an orange t-shirt. Yeah. yeah. In the saffron-colored robes. I know you like to affect when you give speeches. Well, he did. He, he said, I'm going to fire up the crowd, and he fired up the crowd. But yeah. um, one thing he left, left that I wanted basically. to talk I about. I fired them up to leave. I did. No. 
Patrick. Yeah, Go it, ahead. There was like the, so the, in the aughts, suddenly there was Michael Pollan, there's the 100 mile dinner, things like that. I like what you're saying about the regional approach. Yeah. Because even for New York, when you talk about the whatever local is, it seems like we only go out to Long Island or we go to upstate New York. But if you do the arc, I mean, the farmers that we get, a lot of them are from, uh, you know, in Shushan, way up. It's five hours Shushan. away. I, 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 I want to do York. a farm tour up there. I have a friend named John Ubaldo. <laughs> yeah, he makes the best bacon John in New York. Boy's Farm. We, we, we I did am, a tasting I with, hooked uh, up Josh with this guy Zarsky. in Pound Ridge, and I love him. His, his Mountain View Farm. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to do a tour informal up panel there. so that he had the best local bacon. I think his bacon John is Ubaldo. too salty, and I told him that, but... Hey. But do. his other pork products, amazing. And I had the I bought the best chicken I have ever eaten from John. I will tell you, I paid twenty four dollars for it. Yeah, I think it's Washington County, and I know Slow Food. It is Washington NYC County. Often it's does Cambridge, a, Shushan, so far in NYC. Roberta just way, was honored with the snail of approval. Wow, that's awesome. All right, and Jimmy's number forty three is also also a really. No, you, snail you guys are very. What do you do for snail? What beer refrigeration? <laughs> what? Well, we buy locally. Okay. You know. We, but they put us as a restaurant, but I think they're going to move us to taverns and bars, which is yeah. really what we are. And uh, that's really uh, the, the, I love this medieval idea of you'd be on your horse, you know, for days almost. And then yeah. you would come to that little spot, you know, with the light in the window, even at the late hours. And that's where you nourished yourself. It's where you got yeah. your to-go you got warmed jerky up. and stuff. Yeah. Then you go back out. Dried off your uh, chain mail. The medieval right? inn. I mean, Jimmy's well, forty-three. Patrick, is didn't just isn't that what you studied? Don't you have a degree in medieval food history? No, just in that horse ride between the two places. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sell yourself Looking short. Looking no, for that's that fun neon stuff. sign, yes. That's very fun stuff. I love the idea of going back to that model of the sort of... Well, thanks you know, for helping me to find my home. place because, yeah. you know, when it's you have a place, place, it's not like... Well, what Nate's doing is easy. I mean, he's got McNally's behind him and, and it's going to be a very popular, really good yeah. restaurant with a wood oven fired. He's got all the mojo wine, working for him, yeah. But sometimes when you have a place that doesn't quite fit... It, you're like, what is it? Is it a restaurant? Is it a bar? Well, we're not really a restaurant because we don't want to have the bourgeois sensibilities of you're going to get this kind of service and, yeah. and this approach. So we end up saying we're a, a, a bar with food, but that kind of talks us down. I mean, I wish we could resurrect that term tavern or inn. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's relevant, but people, you know, this country, a tavern sounds like in. a dive bar. We're, we're doing it right now. Tavern has been hijacked. Yeah. We it's are doing hijacked. it right now. Tavern, I think your place sounds like a tavern. To me, it's a tavern. I would say yeah. pub as well. But maybe people in but England it's not, think But then it they think pub. it's like a gastropub, and it yeah. doesn't sound and like in, that's really what you're doing either. Yeah, that's a little too high-minded. And yeah. then in Japan, the actual the, the Japanese have a term, izakaya, which probably really fits my place, where it's a place like a tavern where there's food and there's yeah. beer. Who's, yeah. What's that? Izakaya? Izakaya. What's that? A, who says that? Uh, the Japanese. We have a lot of Japanese people that we are friendly with, and they do. We've had, and talking about special events, what we do is we're really open to, to people that have the same you know, scene to, to do things that are cool. So um, there's a Japanese website, Peko Peko NY. Peko Peko means I'm hungry. Uh-huh. But there's also a website, pekopeko.com. It's anime porn, so don't go there. <laughs> but go to <laughs> Peko Peko NY. It's, it's a Japanese language site just about restaurants in New York in Japanese. Awesome. And every once in a while they host their own cook-off. They did a thing, Okonomiyaki cook-off. Okonomiyaki is a Japanese pancake, but they did the Hiroshima version, and that oh, was swamped so with people. Good. And so, on March 1st, they're going to do something called Miso Odin, which is some kind of big pot of like this simmering miso yeah. with skewers in it. And uh, nice. that's going to be neat. So we'll it's have like Japanese a fondue. Beers and things. Yeah. 
Merritt, you had something to say? Yeah, I, I was doing a, a seminar in his cabaret space. Uh, I think it was last time I was doing it. And I was cleaning up the beer as I, as I do, which involves drinking hopefully the rest of it uh but i was kind of you know pr- gathering like, glasses and had my bus tubs going and all these japanese people started coming in and looking at the space and getting organized and i said something's going on here you know and they set up hot plates um griddles and and the the space just filled with people not only preparing for this this on, I guess, okonomiyaki. Uh, yeah, the okonomiyaki. They, they were preparing for it, and then also people that had definitely sought the place out for this cook-off yeah. uh, were coming in, and there were some food writers there, and and uh, just people that were excited to get this very authentic Japanese experience in Jimmy's space. And that was like... That is so cool. Yeah, it was just like, Jimmy is so open yeah, and that's the big thing. I said, Jimmy, you know, I have this thing. I want to, I want to teach some people about beer in your place, and it's going to be Tuesday afternoons, and and you know, it worked the first time, and then Jimmy's like, I call him with ideas of things to do, and he's like, Yeah, that sounds great. He's well, like, I, it, I it's cool it. to know that there's a place that is willing to do like all these eclectic. Different styles of food, different types. You know, I, I think and that's we're not. And it's nice finally to find a race of people that Jimmy is nice to the Japanese. <laughs> and we're he not likes the Japanese. And, and and you know what it is is that it, we're not out there looking. I feel like Jimmy's not out there looking for it, but it is a limited audience that that you know it's a small space that cabaret space and. I've done everything from play guitar on a Sunday night there, drunk to to make my living <laughs> there, yeah. and it's like. It is a niche thing. You can't well, I, fit I like that many people there. Jimmy's I would say uh, to to support that last point, it is about the space. Mm. The, you know, the first thing I talked about was the space. How there were different divisions. So depending yeah. on what type of mood you were in, if you wanted to be congested, if you wanted to be a little bit removed, if you wanted to be in the social scene, you could pick. And and so once that space, it's like a life of its own. And whoever is the proprietor of a space that has that kind of cultural significance is like a shepherd, you know, they have to protect it. I know, but it, I think because there's going, a space underneath my apartment. Space. Jimmy is actually wearing, that if, is very similar for, for to the that. audience, he's actually wearing a, a, a shepherd's outfit yes. and, and he's That's got a crook. Right. He's got his staff. Yeah, got yeah. a crook. And there's but, a weird looking goat. But it takes a Jimmy to make something like that work and I think that's the difference because there's a space right underneath my apartment where I did those cooking lessons, recession cooking, and they have their space. It's underground. It's three little rooms. There's a bar. There's like a pool table room and then there's an event space. And these guys cannot make it work. Like they, they try to do comedy, they try to do music and jazz and this and that. And then they, you know, took a flyer on me. And, you know, we, we made a lot of people come to the, to the space, but it wasn't, it like it, I think it really takes somebody like you, you know, not to brown nose too much here, just so I can get a free meal the next time I come here. No. <laughs> I know, like, this is but, too um, much. Um, maybe we give away a lot of free meals. Maybe that's a secret. <laughs> maybe. But I think it Cut takes your personality week. and the ability <laughs> to, to be like, like, never seen her in my life. To be a visionary, like, wow, this is a cool thing. I want to do this. You know, like, I got the space. This is a cool thing. Let me go with it. All right, well, this and is too positive. I want to bring it back to Christian Slater. <laughs> Just for a little while. You know, for a, a real positive. freak show. December yeah, right? 29, 1989, Slater refused oh, to pull over. Oh, is that mine? This is Christian Slater. Led cops on a high-speed chase. 
crashed into a telephone pole and kicked a police officer. He later he attacked a police officer in he New later York City. Tried remember to that? Take a gun out of their holster. Sweet. I mean, there's something so this ridiculous. This is a guy who's like doing some funny. heavy drugs. You know, one of my one of my best friends in the world was at a Yankee game, wow. and uh, he was very drunk. Yeah, he was very drunk, and he ended up taking a golf cart, uh, but not just any golf cart from outside the stadium. It was a police golf cart. And he drove it. He drove it away from Yankee Stadium and up the Deegan Expressway. (laughs) And he was oblivious to the police cars chasing him. And he ended up the the way that they stopped him was he pulled into a gas station because he thought he was going to fill up the golf cart. Meanwhile, it was an electric one. But he spent he spent a couple days in jail. Oh yeah, and uh, he's still paying for it. It's six years later. (gasps) Oh. and so this is the a, evils of drinking too much. But beer. he's a sweet guy, sure. you know. And so that's kind of a scandal if yeah. he was. Yeah. Except in, that, wait a minute, he didn't want to hurt anybody. Christian Slater's position. Yeah, Christian Slater absolutely. tried to pull a gun, and in a past incident, True. he attacked a police officer. Right in New York City, he's a big who was attempting guy. to ha- to yeah. uh, restrain him from something. He was blasted, and he was doing something bad on the street. Do you think Martha Stewart got screwed? I do. Do you say that as a legal person, as a woman, as a, or as Doctor Fifi, or someone um, who, uh, <laughs> or someone who retiles her sink using old credit cards or something? Uh, <laughs> that is such an interesting image. Um, no, I think that uh, I think that women uh, have the book thrown at them in a way that men do not. Martha Stewart did not do anything that every other trader on Wall Street has done. They all give each other inside tips and the fact that she got nailed for a $45,000 deal I thought was really stank how embarrassing heaven. for Wall Street and then that they would use her no use what was embarrassing was bullshit. the justice system which which went after a successful woman it just by the way they went I mean I didn't I was not a fan of Leona Helmsley but they went after Leona with a vengeance and she didn't do anything different she from was half the, she's Martha a bitch mean, she, Martha's a bitch globally. too come on I've met and been on Martha show. is a mean woman. Oh yeah, but what she was she is like? A she was very, very She's sweet. Hot. She was sweet. She was sweet. Wait, and, this uh, is I'll tell you how Martha's sweetness came through. It was a pre-Super Bowl um, sort of, uh, you know, for for the women at home to sort of get to know football and what to serve. So I came on as the beer guy, you know, beer okay. pairing. She's like, if it's a third but, down. She yeah. was talking about Server Rodenbach. It was the Patriots. Yeah, and we'll talk about the Rodenbach. But it was While the Patriots punting. and the Giants who were playing. It was a couple years ago. And um so Tom Brady had a hurt uh foot. And um she talked about how, you know, cute she thought Tom Brady was, but also there was I, maybe it wasn't Tom, but anyway, there was a, a player. That, maybe that's just the, you there was a player that Brady. had a hurt foot and she had you know, the person that was advising her on this player uh, told her about the hurt foot, and the guy was going to play anyway. And she said, now when I watch the game, all I'm going to do is watch that guy and make sure he doesn't and worry hurt his about foot. his foot. Uh-huh. And I thought that was very, very sweet of her. To well, I'm going to tell you, I'm gonna tell you a very a cool thing about Martha sports. Stewart. I was a book publicist for 10 years, and one of the projects that I represented was a book called The Quilts of G's Bend. And it was an exhibition at the Whitney Museum, and it went on to tour around the United States for probably about four years. It was enormously successful, and it spawned 
a great deal of merchandise, and it supported a community called G's Bend in Alabama, which was a relatively a very rural and quite isolated community of um, of uh, African American people, and they'd been making these quilts out of discarded clothes, and the quilts were really exceptional. They were amazing, and that's why they were at the muse- at the Whitney Museum. So I'm flogging this book, The Quilts of G's Bend, right? And they had brought, for the opening of the exhibition, they had brought all the ladies up, all the quilters, up on a bus from Alabama, and, you know, and I'm flogging them to the Today Show, the early show, the this show, uh-huh. the that show. And the early show was about to do it, and then they listened to a tape of the women from Alabama speaking, and they decided not to go with it because they didn't like the accent. Yeah, the accents are tough down there. They were. It was strong, Yeah, but it was not in, unintelligible. Yeah. But Martha Stewart brought those ladies onto her show. She set up a quilting uh, frame, and she supervised a quilting lesson with these women, and she was like totally into what they did. She's provided every possible support. She was incredibly nice to them, incredibly nice to the people that traveled with them. I and mean, she was just the consummate, fabulous professional. And she didn't yeah. care what they sounded like. And yeah. I can tell I think that the biggest problem is that the success stories come from a segment of society that is self-contained and incestuous. Mm-hmm. And and until someone shoots through to the masses or to the to those people who don't live in New York City in the publishing yeah. world, you know it just doesn't matter. And I and I really it hurts me in the sustainable food world how much energy and passion is put into bringing down whether it be, you know Alice Waters or Martha Stewart, you know to write yeah the article, right. There are too few I mean, success stories. These people are bringing something great. You know? Oh, she's done so much. She has she's done taught a lot of wonderful people, yeah. things for yeah. people. She is a nightmare to work with. I know that from people that have worked with her. But she is, I think, one of the most powerful cultural representatives of the country. I mean, less and so since doing, her, and less better. so. She was very she's diminished doing better after now. her thing. Uh, she's doing better I think uh, ratings wise and everything else. I hope after. so. And talking I mean, about jailbirds, let's jump to Tanya Harding. <laughs> oh yes. There was I think that we're this supposed decade? to be taking a break, right, okay. Jack? We're supposed to be taking a little break here because it's one thirty, oh, and we'll ta- be right back. The, see, you guys are doing a decade, and it's like a decade. Oh, he's going way beyond the There's decade. There's a story in our town of the prettiest girl around, golden hair and eyes of blue. How those eyes could flash at you. How those eyes could flash at you. Boys hung around her by the school, but she loved the boy next door who worked at the candy store. Dream on, dream on, teenage queen, prettiest girl we've ever seen. She was tops and all they said, it never once went to her head. She had everything it seemed, not a careless teenage queen. Not a careless teenage queen. Other boys could offer more, but she loved the boy next door who worked at the candy store. Dream on, dream on, teenage dream, you should be a movie queen. He would marry her next spring, save his money, bought a ring. Then one day a movie scout came to town to take her out. Came to town to take her out. Hollywood could offer more, so she left the boy next door. Working at the candy store. Dream on, dream on, teenage queen. See you on the movie screen. Very soon she was a star. Pretty house and shining cars. Swimming pool and a fence around. But she missed her old hometown. But she missed her 
teenage star Sold her house and all her cars Gave up all her wealth and fame Left it all and caught a train Left it all and caught a train Do I have to tell you more? She came back to the boy next door Who worked at the candy store Now the story has some more You'll hear it all at the candy store Now I taught the weeping willow How to cry And I showed the clouds how to cover up a clear blue sky And the tears that I cried for that woman Are gonna flood you big river And I'm gonna sit right here until I die I met her accidentally in St. Paul, Minnesota And it tore me up every time I heard her drawl Southern drawl Then I heard my dream went back downstream Cavorting in Davenport And I followed you, Big River, when you called Then you took me to St. Louis later on down the river a freighter said she's been here, but she's gone, boy, she's gone. I found her trail in Memphis, but she just walked up the bluff. She raised a few eyebrows, and then she went on down alone. Now won't you bat it down by Baton Rouge, River Queen, rolling on. Take that woman on down to New Orleans, New Orleans. Go on, I've had enough, dump my blues. And we're back. It is the main course on Sunday afternoon at Heritage Radio Network. And we're sponsored today by Salumi. Armandina Batali. I can't believe we're basking in the glow of the illustrious Batali family, but we are because we're so cool. And in the studio with us today, we have Sam Merritt from the Civilization of Beer and Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's 43. And boys, we've been talking about the um, fabulous naughty aughties. Um... And comparing scandals, and also some of the fabulous developments, because Jimmy, who is clearly uh, an endless optimist. <laughs> Mr. Positive. Oh, yeah. you got to love that, man. No wonder you're a success. I'm the king of fools. Yeah. I think that being successful means being cheerful, optimistic, ready for the good stuff, because that's uh-huh. why Patrick is successful, because he's like totally into that, right? The hell with you. <laughs> Really, go and drink Sam, your beer. Yeah, yeah. Sam, I can Shut tell up. you're another one of those too. Yeah, so you're yeah. positive. So you guys wanted me to compare this ought with the last ought because, yeah. of course, I am the most aged person. What was the difference? Probably a 45 square block radius. <laughs> what was the Upper West Side like in 1802? <laughs> Actually, um, 1802, I think it was probably still farmland, but it round. The end of that century is when we started getting some of those really beautiful mansions on Riverside Drive and some of the first really big apartment buildings, which, by the way, interestingly enough, and I happen to know this uh, for no particular reason. (laughs) Yeah, right. But a lot of the Jewish architects that came over from Europe um, were only really practicing. It was like they were practicing on the Upper West Side. So there's a whole raft of 
um, Hispano, probably Sephardic Jews that emigrated to this country in the late 18th and early 19th century and put up some of the first big apartment buildings on the west side. You can see them on uh, Riverside Drive. They're up on 115th and Broadway. You know, that whole area was rife with this uh, really interesting population. So That's you know, rye. Always full. Is it rye? Historical. <laughs> not rye. It's not rye. Oh. No, it isn't. Don't ever listen to Patrick. I'm like, right? Not it's right with. Oh, I get it now. Yeah. yeah. So we were talking. We were talking naughty audies. I think we were, we've almost exhausted this topic. I'm no, like, we can now. get. I'm trying to get through to July. Uh, no. With summary, <laughs> tell Jimmy's uptown. What was it last knot? I mean, Jimmy's 43. The knot. Where was it a uh, hundred years ago? It was around, right? It was just built. It was the building was built around nineteen oh three. Oh, that's right. You were saying that you have stuff. Yeah, even so the ceilings are still from nineteen. Who went there then? Who? What was its kind of? I think then it may have been a coal cellar slash you know became a bookstore or a leather shop, but for a long time it was like a Ukrainian men's club, because oh, right excellent. after that, after whatever World War One, Bolshevism, a lot of people fled from Russia. And a lot of them were Eastern European. They did. They started coming to the East Village in that time. You know, one of my uh, closest friends is a 99-year-old woman named Rachel Klausner, who grew up in um, Manhattan and Brooklyn, and um, <clears throat> she was born in 1911. And she. This is where I mean, you want to ask me how I know what New York was like a hundred years ago? That's mm-hmm. how I know because when Rachel was growing up, like on the Upper East Side, the first house that she lived in was a t- was a house. It was on like 104th Street and whatever. And they there were so many empty lots. Probably I mean, Lex. Doesn't matter. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was like there were Probably pigs, Lex. chickens, and goats. There were many, many unpaved streets. Um, your your business would have done great then. Uh, yeah. You Patrick, could have been growing your pigs foods, right I mean, here in yeah. Roberta's backyard. And more, by the way, that lot, could lot still easier. happen. A lot yeah. easier for you. Well, yeah, that would have been a lot easier. I would just, I would need herders. I would have needed you, shepherds. You, I would have gone, and so would have Jimmy. Really, we would have been I'll there. Be shepherd. I would yep. have been like, we'll how be come shepherd. this pig came in without a hind? Yeah, Aaron, and then like, me without. and Jimmy would say, well, we stopped at the tavern on 106th on the way down, and you know whatever happened there. I think there's a Boston butt missing on this live animal. <laughs> <laughs> and where are the well, Jimmy, Jimmy's particular <laughs> yeah. to that type of butt. How come it's limping? <laughs> Where's that leg? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> but yeah, New York was, it's its hard to imagine yeah. how much has changed. But it really, when you see a person who's 99 years old, unlike myself, I'm only 80. Um, you know, you really see the transition of this city has been so, and our country has been so huge and so swift. This is like a, a you know, a blip. A hundred years, and uh, you know, a hundred years ago, Patrick, you would have been herding those pigs right through the streets of New York City. Yeah, awesome. And five, there were five-year-old kids working in factories. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Oh, it would have been the five-year-old. Well, we were story. still. I think the triangle. And the people that your architect was, what, built the buildings for yeah. would own those factories. Yeah. You know. That's right. So, but what's interesting to me is what you guys brought up earlier was the return to artisanal food production, the return to craft brewing. The return to home winemaking. I mean, all of those. This, the DIY movement is yeah. really huge. I mean, even the guys here at Roberta's and what they did to like just build out Roberta's with salvage and pick over dumps and you know like just kind of 
you know, get back and they do it all themselves and they've got the greenhouses upstairs and that's doing them all themselves. I mean, it's really, it's huge. And, and they the, have these workshops here. We inter- we interviewed Novella Carpenter, who ran a workshop in the, you know, mash tent over killing there rabbits. of doing rabbits. Yeah. So what else are on your knots? We need well homebrew, the rise of homebrew. I mean, <clears throat> we have uh, we sometimes host the meetings as well as our neighbor Burp Castle of the New York City Homebrew Guild. Right. And even going back to two thousand five, two thousand six, when things were just changing in the beer world. Most of those guys were over 40. They, they had been in the club for a long time. It kind of felt stodgy and just kind of like, you know, the old beer geeks. Yeah. And now most of the guys are in their 20s. And, right. it, and it's hip. It's sexy. There's people. There's these kids, uh, brooklynhomebrew.com, and they've, they basically sell a kit. All they do is they get the grains and, and, yeah. and things. You and get they, the they mash and you get the yeast. Like I used to do bucks. it. Yeah. I did it. And they I did ship it with it, a though. friend. They, they sell it up yeah. to flea and they, and they ship it online. I mean, we made beer for like four years on 115th Street and Riverside Drive in my friend Patty's closet. It was all, you know, uh, room temperature uh, processed beer. So it was... And some of it's really good. Last It year, was excellent. Yeah, we did this event last year called Good Beer at BAM in collaboration with Edible Brooklyn, Edible Manhattan. Good for you. And my, I have a group that I want to plug. It's called the Good Beer Seal. But um, we came about because... There was a lot, you know, beers growing, and, and, and how do you represent beer? You know, Eric Asimov writes about beer in the Times, and it's like, well, there's a lot of bars are selling good beer, and we said, we really want to define ourselves. So, basically, small, independently owned beer bars that have, like, some kind of educational mission, mm-hmm. commitment to really good beer, and, 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 and a unique sense of place. Right. And uh, we, we set up this thing called the Good Beer Seal. And uh, right now there's 15 bars in the city and we'll probably add five or ten more this year. Huh. But one of the events that we did, which we'll do again, is called Good Beer at BAM in July. And the actual, the, the beer that was the best beer on everyone's opinion, uh, there was a bartender at Grand Mystery Tavern named Brad. And uh, he made his own homebrew. And he served it with these awesome little uh, like wow. uh, pretzel dough brioche wash, you know, kind of egg wash brioche with little kielbasa inside. And it was like... That was awesome, but the the homebrew you can because you can select your ingredients. You can yes. you can make a really great batch of beer. Sam, you tell us about doing. the homebrew movement, like Charlie Papazian and then okay. that whole movement. Um, since nineteen seventy eight, uh, Jimmy Carter passed a law that you could brew beer at home up to five hundred gallons before it was taxed. Jimmy, <laughs> when they repealed prohibition in nineteen thirty three, uh, they had put in that you could make your own wine at home, but they yes. forgot to put in. You you could make your own beer, so it was illegal to homebrew until 1978. 1977, nope, 1967. Uh, a guy named Jack McAuliffe, who had been stationed with the army in Britain, uh, got into British beer and real ale and that, and he went back to California and he was uh, living in California and he wrote the British Brewers. And got yeast shipped over in the mail and started the first microbrewery in the country in 1967. Went out of business in about four years. Um, but it's evolved since, I basically said 78 and a little bit before then, as far as people wanting something different. Right. Uh, 1976 19 to 1980, the, the, the consolidation of the brewing industry was so intense uh, from the highway system and television, and, mm. you know, big companies taking over small, that of all the brands in that are produced in the, in the U.S., only 40 breweries 
uh, uh, controlled all of those. So 40 companies and controlled Basically every, ruled the national right. drinking scene. And so it evolves. But basically what happens is people start to brew beer at home. They start to travel a lot. And then, That's almost a reaction? Yeah. yeah it's well, like, the beer was lousy. Well, the beer got it very similar. It got really similar. bad. It, everything it, tasted the same. Everything tasted a lot really the same. And it was really sudsy, and right. it was kind of sweet, and it was like... So, it was you cheap. Know, it was it cheap. It was cheap. Right. It was Pabst Blue Ribbon. So people, or, you know, people sort of expected... Well, don't use Pabst as an know. example. Um, so the, the, the revolution, as it were, and I don't call it a revolution, even though I'm a... Uh, you know, a beer scholar. Even though you're a revolutionary. <laughs> I love that you're a beer scholar. I'm a beer scholar That's and educator. Very hot, yeah. And that I want to hear, talk that about is... educator just as a tangent, okay. then come right back. Okay. What is the certificate you get um, by passing I, your course? We work with uh, the Cicerone program. Yeah, in, I know. Uh, you guys have mentioned that a few times. I've been Cicerone. wanting to ask Who you about it. Who is the Cicerone program? So the Cicerone uh, was created by a guy named Ray Daniels, who okay. used to be in, uh, very involved with the Beer Judge Certification Program, which gives out all the medals at the Great American Beer Festival and all this. And so he created this program really as a, a, a measure uh, for beer knowledge because there are people out in this country all over the place calling themselves beer sommeliers just because they know a thing or two about beer. Mm-hmm. But there are, it turns out there's not just a thing or two about beer that you need to know. If you're going to be acting on a professional level where people are going to expect your expertise for their dollar, that means that you have to know everything there is to know about beer uh, from from how it's made, where the ingredients come from, to how it's supposed to be distributed, stored, served, glassware, um, how to pour a bottle, how to pour a draft, the, the way to tell that the glassware is clean, cleaning the draft lines, which Jimmy does a good job uh-huh. with, all that stuff. So let me ask, like, how widely accepted is your certification label? Like, where is it in terms <laughs> of national recognition? Behind Roberta's in Brooklyn, it's very widely accepted. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, hi-ho. At Jimmy's number 43 in Manhattan, very, very widely accepted. Um, it, it was 2007 when this program came out. Okay. So it, it's very, very young. Uh, there's three levels. The first level is certified beer server. Okay. Uh, that's an online 60-question, uh, multiple-choice exam. you got to be done in 30 minutes. And, and do that's you pay the for the right to take that? Yes. Tr- it, yeah, it's trademarked. You pay on the site. Great. And you How take much the test. Is that? I mean, I, it's 69 I bucks. And then you can become a certified... Certified beer server on the Cicerone wow. Sommelier program. No matter yes. where you are in the country, right. you can log on to that site. You can go right ahead and take it today if you want. Give your credit card number. What's that website? Cicerone.org. Okay. Here's here's the here's the problem though. Okay. You're not gonna pass, Patrick. And then you're gonna have to take something else. You're not gonna pass. It's really hard. Can I have like the Google? It's very hard. Can I have a second computer where I could read? So as as the Kaplan company is to the SAT and the MCAT, civilization of beer. Is to the Cicerone ah, certification. Very nice. Okay. Smooth, man. So what I do is I prepare, and then Ray tests and certifies, and it's trademark certification. Uh, presently, there are about 850 certified beer servers around the country. Uh, we're getting a really nice concentration of them here in New York City. Uh, there are 50 certified Cicerones, which is the second level. That's the level I'm at, okay. and then. 
Uh, last November, they just did the Master Cicerone exam in Chicago for the first time. And seven people took it and one person passed. Wow. And they grill you for two days or something. But uh, I'm still scared to take that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Sam. I think you might do all right. I think, I think I will. Very knowledgeable. I think I will. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. So one thing that Sam does is it's whenever he gets a class together, whether it's some group of restaurants or, or liquor stores that Brewery reps. train their people, yeah. they um, they book with Sam and he hosts it in my back room at Jimmy's 43. So Jimmy turned around and let me lets me use the cabaret space in his restaurant. And then in turn, what I do is I offer him a couple of seats in the class, no charge, as a barter. Uh-huh. No money changing Perfect. hands. Yeah. You know, it's all... I love the barter it's all thing. Yeah. We, it's, it's worked great. So he's able to reach out to some of his bars that are in the Good Beer Seal program. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I feel like I'm contributing to Jimmy's space for, you know, he pays a lot of rent there, I'm sure. Right. So it's one of those things where we both benefit... Uh, we're both spreading the gospel, you know, and yeah. then it just works. It's like, and then, you know, we just, when we see each other and we're talking, especially if ideas come up for business, it's like, <laughs> we already know how each other operates. Right. You know. And you Sam, know what's going like to work for uh, each other. Offer to some of the listeners a, Yeah, so a if there's any, if, if there are any retailers listening or any, um, um, also just beverage Our industry I'm in the beverage industry. Okay, beverage industry professionals. <laughs> what we'd like to do, uh, if you don't work for the radio station, is um, I technically the next don't get class. Paid by the, the next station. class uh, is it's a three hundred dollar class, uh, and I don't have that doesn't dollars. include the price of the exam. But what we'd like to offer to uh, anybody that's in the industry that would like to come and have a seat in this class, we're kind of going to do a promotion. I guess it's called, and and just give a seat in that class, Very nice. so somebody can come and exit. So if Carlo somebody Petrini wants to call wrote, in, I don't know how that works, but well, Carlo Petrini wrote this book, uh, Slow Food, you know about Slow Food Nation, and he his whole biggest thing was education. Yeah, hundred percent. And if you know it, you almost have a duty to teach it. And yes. Sam, I, I feel he knows it, and I, he is walking the walk. And that certification seal means something to me. And if I saw that seal. It would be legit, and hopefully more people uh, buy into that because it's about legitimacy, not just about wanting to be involved. You know, it's right. about really doing it right. And yeah, about uh, right. your due diligence in education, yeah. getting your education in the in the subject. Go to a Absolutely. good well. Good I, I remember you saying, Patrick, that um, you were making a distinction between someone who's a gastronome and not a gastronome, and I kind of I, I, over the last couple of weeks after we we left. I was thinking about what that meant, and and it's really uh, has a lot to do with being naturally curious and a student of what you're interested mm-hmm. in, and really being genuine about it. You know, and and you've tasted a lot of beer, tasted and that's a lot of beer. The best way of being, and a lot an of meat, luckily too. <laughs> you're an expert on meat too. Oh, just you know. So I'm fascinated with beer, and I continue to be so. But like when a guy like that guy Nate comes on. Uh-huh. You know, and he's talking about bringing whole animals into yeah. a restaurant, and then when Jimmy and, and building into yeah. into his real estate uh, and, butchering yeah. space, that's and, a real. And commitment. Jimmy talks about like when they first started, they had these, you know, all they had was a hot plate on the Lower East Side. Yeah. I'm like, it's like the Bowery Hotel, but if you get the right cut of meat and you get yourself a cast iron pan and yeah. somebody knows what they're doing, you can have an amazing meal. 
Yeah. You know, that's, and that's, that's really true. fun. It is. Yeah, amazing yeah. meal. I would rather go out once a year and eat a meal I will never forget than go out three times a week and eat crappy food. I know, but will you do that? I mean, uh, no, what, you don't. What, go out three times a week and have crappy food? <laughs> the second check. Another check for Katie. She's now buying this round. <laughs> By the way, you guys have to chip in. What was my payment. first one? <laughs> Your first one. We had to ask for the check for you earlier. <laughs> I forget what it was, but at some point I called for a check. Did you? I, 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 you you know. called for checks for me. Heartbreaker. Ooh, problems of the pulpit we didn't talk about. These are, well, you should be even more mad at Mark these Foley. people. Oh, that's tough. Stuff. I have sinned. That's Jimmy Swaggart, Jim oh, Baker, and Tammy Faye. Yeah, they were great. That was that high comedy. Get your gut. That was beautiful. Are you kidding? I love Spirit this stuff. I think it's flesh. a riot. What about I don't like uh, it with the Pastor politicians, Ted. but I, I really, I think the whole is that last hundred years or last ten years? I was going to say if they did a Man of the Year for the past thousand years, Jesus would have probably won. <laughs> Like 980 of those years. Maybe. It would have been like Eisenhower. You might be surprised by that. I don't know. The Jesus thing has gotten bigger and bigger. You think? You think you would oh, have yeah. won more than 960 of the years? Uh, I think that the first 500, there weren't that many people. So he would have just won. Barely. So he gets a... He would have but won he by did. He obviously margin. won by quite a bit for a while. But now actually... Uh, there are other religions that are taking over. I mean, I think Islam is is taking over Christianity, certainly Catholicism in terms of numbers. And they're both religions, interestingly enough, that uh, that promote big families, no birth control. Well, because they both want, yeah, they want to populate Maximum their religion. Control. So think about how long the Catholics controlled. I mean, whenever if you've been to the Vatican, right, you guys? Everybody's been to yes. the Vatican. Okay. See. Uh, no. Okay, then you You're need going to look to hell. on the internet. <laughs> this is a, te- a monument to the success of the religion and their extraordinary capacity for extracting money from people who had almost nothing already. They took over brewing. Well, they were monks. the brewers. women. Well, the monks were Mi- the brewers. Women were the first brewers. Ah, and the church you, took Sam once again comes in with a historical women. fact. I they love that. They were always the most portly of the community. Whoever was in the <laughs> church. And and jolly. And they, they had jolly. the beer. And they had women. And by they the way, had but, the tavern know. mentality that yes. Jimmy kind of um, you know, we were talking about before that tavern mentality. It was the first place Jimmy, where you, you could ta- go are, are you and the first inns were monasteries. And so to raise money and to keep money going, they knew that if you could welcome any stranger and ask for some shekels or whatever the hell it was, then you could turn around and you could hang out and be that place. And That's so probably why they feared the, Genghis Khan and uh, yeah, oh, because yeah. they would have messed oh, up. Didn't they, go down well with Henry VIII. They, they saw that women were world. brewing beer and selling beer on their own, uh, and they said, "Wait a second oh, yeah. here." Yeah. Let's take that away from them. Well, they made also some great drinks them. besides beer. I mean, the the monks were the source oh, of digestif and, and brandies, yeah, oh, yeah. and I mean Your all that good stuff. Oh, they, they were catering to their market. Oh yeah, you know. But we oh, only yeah. have four minutes so left. True. Yeah. Um, oh, so, so I guess we have so to wrap Katie, it up. So, take it. Uh, <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm still looking for the next great sporting event that I'm going to attend. I'm just going to like Jets go off this on afternoon. A no, oh, no, yeah. no, the Jets. I'm to Roberta's. No, I'm into like the uh, I'm into like the, the esoteric. So last weekend I went to the um, the um, professional bull riding exhibition at oh, Madison Square yeah. Park That's Garden, cool. which was very interesting. Very cool. But it did not hold a candle to what I think is one of the best sporting events I've 
ever attended, which is the Gotham Girls Roller Derby. Oh, yes. And I would actually like to have some of those ladies on. They are great. (gasps) They were incredible. Could we ask the Roberta's guys to build a tract outside? Oh, that would be cool. Maybe. It's really yeah, no, I mean, if we can they peg were, them down. These women, I have never seen skating like this before. I have never seen skating like this. We have to build a track. Like we know the cheerle- they have a cheerleader troop called the Jeerleaders. Yes, And we sponsor them. There you go. You don't. Really? You know what they had at halftime at the at the uh, exhibition I went, or the game I went to? A burlesque show. Wow. Why don't we do, fans why don't we like do an anti-Super Bowl show? Yes. If the Jets aren't in it, I'll come. If okay. the Jets are in, I'm not going <laughs> to... But we could have them, and we'll do like you yeah. know a little lap around the oh, hoo ha. You guys, some beers, chug some beers. I'll reach out to them. That would be really great fun. Yeah. Yeah. The Chet lose because that's you. a good sport. Yeah. Oh, it's a Roller great Derby sport, and it should absolutely sport. be supported. Yeah. And for women, I mean, these women, Very hard. they are so they are yeah. suffering for their art. They are definitely. I mean, these Arses girls go and down elbows. and they go down hard. Yeah. I don't yeah. know how the Batali family could have been prouder. <laughs> more well spent than sponsoring these past two drunken, laterally driven drunken. Don't say that. No, well, we have. I know. I think think Mario would have a good time. Relax radio program. And I'll wear my Crocs and socks for Mario. (laughs) Sam, I hope you are a perennial co host. I mean, you have been elevated. Talking about popes, you have been knighted. Beer opens doors. Beers opens doors. No, but Beer s- opens no. doors. Smart, but will, smart keeps them I open. Always, <laughs> I will always drink beer with you. Yeah, well, always and beer. always share your smartness with yeah. us. Thanks for really coming fun. again. That really was cheers. really awesome. And Jimmy, uh, Jimmy's 43. You. Yeah. 43 East 2nd, 7th square. Street. Hold on. Uh, one Good last stuff. thing before we leave from Sam. Mention the beers one last time for Jack to tag oh, it on oh, our okay. website, Heritage we did, Radio Network. We did the Southampton uh, Double White. We did the Brooklyn Local One. Was we, that the Brooklyn Brewery one? Yes. Garrett Oliver? Yes. Uh, we did the Rodenbach. Uh, that was a Sour very Brown. interesting brew. Yeah. We did the Dogfish 90-Minute IPA. Mm-hmm. And um, and I drank a 6-point of wheat before that. I've got some Brooklyn IPA in the, in the holster ready to go for <laughs> after we finish. So that's what we got for beers today. It was good. Yeah. Beers well, thanks guys. a lot, guys, for coming. Thanks to our engineer, Nat Wiener, and our producer, Cheers. Jack Rectech. Rectech. Love that. And uh, Not Patrick, sure which one of those two is really Rectech. What are we, next weekend, we have uh, Tom Milan is going to be reporting on the Meat the, Hook, and the, meat they hook had and the a Meatball Madness, oh, and that's cool. a and, whole cutting edge local meat scene. And then we have your scene. friend Marsha from... Um, Marsha McBride, Cafe Marcia Rouge, McBride. who is yeah. cutting edge. No offense to her. Yeah. 80s, 90s, she was alone. And more people have right. followed her since, but so, she was one of a kind for So good stuff decade. coming up for next week. We'll see you then at 12 o'clock on the main course. This is Heritage Radio Network. Jimmy will come back as Jimmy's 44. I wear the black for those who've never read Or listen to the words that Jesus said About the road to happiness through love and charity Why you think he's talking straight to you and me Well, we're doing mighty fine, I do suppose In our streak of lightning cars and fancy clothes But just so we're reminded Of the ones who are held back Up front, there ought to be a man in black